This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. program of the show and it is your turn to control the narrative for the next 54 minutes whatever you have questions about now's the time to ask just dial in at 800-848-9222 you have questions about cocktails atlantic city baseball pro wrestling cinema uh the political process you need advice about something you have questions about the radio business you have questions about what my, uh, my personal history is my personal preferences you have hypothetical questions whatever the case may be if you have a question that you are genuinely curious about now's the time to call and ask the only thing we would ask is that if you have gotten through before, maybe wait 15 minutes and give new people uh, an opportunity to get their questions in first at 800-848-9222 because the lines do jam up pretty quickly. I try to go through the questions as quickly as I can, but a lot of the new people, you know, they get discouraged if there's a busy signal. So without further ado, it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Whatever you have questions about, now is the time. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Dan on Long Island. Hello, Dan. Yeah, Frank, I got three movies which was better, the original or the remake? Okay. And I'll hang up and listen to your response afterwards. First, okay. I have uh, the 1960 cycle and the 1988 cycle. Uh, I think you mean 98, but but okay. Uh, not, uh, yeah, 98, right. 98, my mistake. Then I got uh, Cape Fear, 62, and... Uh, right, 91, the I think is the other 96 one. Or right, 91. And this yeah. is a three for, I got... Beauty on the Bounty, 1935, Clark Gable, Charles right. Lawton. I got a uh, 62, John Landis, Marlon Brando, and 84, Mel Gibson, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, okay, your, uh, let me... Think about it? Uh, uh, thank you, Dan. So I, I will do my best to answer all the... Psycho, not even close. Not even close. The, uh, the original version from the 60s, much better for a few reasons. Uh, one... Uh, Janet Lee is much better in that role than Anne Heche is. Nothing against Anne Heche, uh, but uh, there's only one Janet Lee, and she created that role. And w- any actress that was trying to do a shot-for-shot remake of that film was going to be compared to Janet Lee. And unfortunately, Anne Heche, great actress, I'm not taking anything away from her, but uh, she did not compare to Janet Lee. And I'm a fan of Vince Vaughn, but he cannot compare to Tony Perkins in that role. Uh, it's It's without... Not not at all a fair comparison. Additionally, part of the reason that that original Psycho was so good was because it was so different and so new. I mean, to take a character in the middle of the film 
that's the main character, and not just the main character, but the narrator of the film, and kill that character that had never happened before in the history of cinema. 36 years later, that happened all the time. So the second film was not at all innovative. And look, I like color films, but the fact that that film is black and white is such a benefit to that film. Watching the shower scene alone, um, the way the blood, which was actually chocolate syrup in that in that uh, shower scene, watching the blood in black and white, it's so chilling and so scary and yet so beautiful and artistic. The color version doesn't compare. Uh, I like the color version. If it's on television once in a while, I'll keep it on. And there are some th- good things that you could say about the color version. Uh, there's a little bit of more nudity, which you could get away with in the 90s that you couldn't get away with in the 60s. That's certainly a positive. And William H. Macy, who has the supporting role as the police investigator, he actually, I think, did a better job than the original person in that role. But uh, because of those performances of Janet Lee and Tony Perkins, the original wins hands down, hands down. Mutiny on the Bounty is a tougher call for me because of my fondness for uh, Marlon Brando. I love everything Brando did, but the original from the 30s with Clark Gable is a much better picture. It's a better story. It's shorter. It pops a little better. The version with Brando is a little bit more convoluted. It's 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 too long. It's beautifully shot, but that's the best thing that you can say about it. And Brando, even when he's being bad, is great. Um, that's not Brando's best performance. Uh, that 1930s version of Bount, Bount, Mutiny on the Bounty is uh, is superior. I never saw that version that you mentioned from um, Mel Gibson. Cape Fear, I'm going to go the other way. The remake with Robert De Niro and Nick Nolte is better. Um, I think it's better. It's a little scarier. I mean, I don't know. that Scorsese is just such a master. And I don't know why it's better, but it's more suspenseful. And Robert De Niro, the guy, and I know a lot of people take issue with him because of the things that he said and so forth, whatever. The guy is an incredible actor. When he says that line, and my wife, if she's listening, she'll tell you I say this all the time. Sometimes, you know, I just walk around the house repeating not just lines of dialogue from movies, but lines of dialogue from TV shows, lines that, that I've heard on the radio, just random things. It's, you know, it, when I end up suffering from dementia, my immediate family is going to be the ones that have the toughest time telling the difference because uh, I act half crazy most of the day anyway. When he says that line to Nick Nolte, um, we might have been decent people. We might have been friends. When he does that line, he creates in eight seconds a whole other alternative universe for me where if these two men had met under different circumstances, that they would have been friends and they would have uh, been decent people. Instead, bums is certainly in the case of De Niro in that picture. And for one line of dialogue to make you create in your own brain a whole separate alternative life, that is something that is not easily done. 
And I think it's only done with that unique combination of Scorsese and uh, Robert De Niro and Nick Nolte. I think the remake, both great films, the remake is the better one there. So I'm going the original on Psycho, the original on The Bounty, and the remake of Cape Fear. Great question, though. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Alex is in Brooklyn. Hello, Alex. Hey, Frank. Thanks for taking the call. So sure. I'll just follow up with what you mentioned about a comment about different lines. What is your favorite line? And uh, uh, what do you think about Sean Hannity? And here's the key question that I wanted to ask. So what happens if your wife decides when Carmen is two years old and he's also pro it, that she decides that she wants him to transition into becoming a woman? And she tells you, you either let her do that uh, or it's done with a marriage. What what would you do then? All right. So you got three questions here. So let let's let me take one one at a time here. Okay. So the first is just what's my favorite line in any film? Not in any film in 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 general. Like that you like to use. Not not because it has anything to do with the film. What's the what's the favorite line that you like to use? Well, I, I guess it would have to be "Good morrow." That's sort of become uh, my uh, my trademark. Uh, so I'm going to say it's that. Yeah. Second question: uh, What do I think of Sean Hannity? Look, uh, I have mixed feelings about Sean Hannity. Um, you, you really, the guy is a very hard worker. You don't achieve the level of mm-hmm. success that he's achieved in both radio and television without working incredibly hard. And I give him a lot of credit uh, for that. Um, uh, I think he is. Um, you think I, he's genuine? Oh, no, 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 not at all. But that, I, I was going to get to that. But no, I think he's a total phony. I mean, I think the uh, if the conventional conservative slash Republican um, talking point of the day was um, that Attila the Hun was actually a pretty good guy, just a little misunderstood, then Hannity would have no problem embracing that. I mean, for Hannity, who for a decade was the biggest cheerleader of the war in Iraq to then become the biggest cheerleader of Donald Trump, whose whole presidential campaign was prefaced on destroying and undoing every aspect of George Bush's legacy, especially these Middle Eastern wars. I mean, it just goes to show you what a phony he really is. And I've seen how he treats uh, some of his staff and some of the people uh, that he's worked with. And it's, he doesn't treat them the best. Um, He's very paranoid. He and uh, that's that's basically and he's a little weird. Uh, that's the best I could say about him. Uh, as far as if Rachel wanted to transition Carmine at two years old uh, to a woman, I can promise you that is not happening. Uh, that is a non-starter. But um, that's the kind of thing you have to think about when you get married. You know, Howard Stern said on the radio one time that the most important to uh, lo- uh, thing to think about when choosing a partner is someone that you want to raise children with. And because everything else comes and goes, health comes and goes, um, money comes and goes, your looks come and go. But if you are, if you have a great chemistry with someone, but you have very different ideas about how to raise children, then you're really condemning yourself to decades of, uh, of a relationship. And um, I would not marry someone that thought it was okay to have our child transition at at two years old. So I could promise you that's not happening. But if Rachel did, uh, if she suffered a brain tumor and said that, then I can just I can guarantee you that's not happening. It's just no no child of mine is transitioning to another gender until they're old enough to really make those decisions for themselves. And at two, you're just not old enough. 
Uh, good questions, all though. 800-848-9222. John is in Nevada. Hello, John. Hey, Frank. Hey, John. Um, I have a question for you. I'm ready. Did Andrew Eagleize Cuomo receive treatment for sex addiction? Is he safe to leave a woman alone with now? Uh, you know, I have no idea what kind of uh, treatment he's gotten for anything. Not that I've heard. And I follow all the Cuomo goings on pretty well. Uh, but my understanding, and he said this on the radio last time he was here, is that he no, he sort of observes the Mike Pence rule, which is he is not alone with any person anymore. And um, that was something that was a rule that he observed early in his career. And then he sort of got away from it. And then he was it was the on the receiving end of all these accusations. So now he's gone back to that. He always has a third person in the room. But I could tell you, uh, I have a friend that works closely with him. And I think everybody knows there's no bigger critic of Andrew Cuomo than me. Uh, but she feels very comfortable. Uh, being in a room with him. But she says they're never alone. He's always got a third person there. Uh, to kind of make sure that he's never just one-on-one in a room with anyone, which is, I think, kind of sad when you think about it. But Mike Pence does the same thing. And if you look at uh, a lot of these scandals people have gotten themselves involved in, then uh, I think a lot of them could be obviated if there was a third-party president. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Ellen is in New Jersey. Hello, Ellen. Hi, Frank. How are you? I'm well, thanks. I'm, I'm happy to speak with you. Likewise. So I have a hypo- hypothetical situation um, that perhaps you could tell me how you would handle if Carmine were older and he found himself in, in this kind of a situation. This is a, this is some, I'm not going to go into all the details, but this is true. My daughter has a good friend. Um, she knew her in law school. And this woman and her husband went to law school together. They graduated. He decided to practice law. She didn't. She became a photographer, and she, she was traveling all over the world. So the girlfriend he, decided not to practice law and become a right. photographer. Got it. Okay. Right. I mean, she was very successful. Sure. And she went to all kinds of exotic places. Anyway, um, so she met someone else. They, they were married for over 20 years. They had two children. He was home most of the time, and he, even though he was practicing law, he, he and his parents did a lot of the raising of their two teenage children. And she was off gallivanting. And anyway, so she met someone else. And boom, 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 they were separated, divorced, and now she's remarried. But the thing is, she posts, she's very big on social media. She posts all kinds of romantic um, uh, pictures of herself and her new husband all over the Internet. And, you know, her children see it, too, and her ex-husband, too. Anyway, so if Carmine found himself in a situation like that, and he did something like that, and you were, you know, he was a lot older, of course, and you were, of course, a lot older, would you have any input? Would you give him any advice? Would well, you stay if he's out of who? It? If he's the ex-husband or the photographer? or the photographer? No, I'm asking you as a parent. Wait, wait what did you just say? Well, I, I'm not sure who he is in the scenario that you're, you're creating. Is I'm asking the- you if Carmine... Did something similar right, as but, she did. Uh, as she did. And okay, so it's her. Yeah, he's her. Right, that's right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I mean, once he's an adult, unless he asks my advice, uh, then uh, he would do what he wants. But I would think um, if he's married to a second wife, then uh, he, he should be or she should be 
celebrating and embracing that relationship as much as possible. And if his children or her children take issue with that, uh, that's probably a conversation that uh, that he should have uh, with with his children. But no, I, I think that um, if you're in a new marriage, you should really dive headfirst into that new marriage and do whatever you can to make it worth make it work and including public celebration of your love for one another. I, I don't think there's there's anything wrong with that. I mean, if the children are hurt by that, then I think they're, they should certainly raise that with their with their parent. Right, right. You know, Dr. Joy Brown used to say, never give anyone unsolic- unsolicited advice. Yeah, and that's been my the, philosophy as well. You know, is child, I don't, I don't, you know, even if it's an adult child, you might, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but, I, 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 I don't, I, and thank you, Will, and I appreciate that. I've done that even with my brothers, right, uh, and sister. Uh, they make decisions that sometimes I don't think are the best, and you know what? You know what I say? Nothing. Unless they ask my opinion. If they ask my opinion, I'm happy to give it to them. But if you start volunteering opinions to people making poor life choices, a lot of times that comes across as uh, like you're trying to interfere uh, in what they're doing, not be supportive of what they're doing. And chances are, hopefully, if people do make a mistake, they'll ask you uh, the next time they, they go into a decision and hopefully they'll take your advice because clearly it didn't work out for them the first time. But it sounds like a stressful situation for um, everybody involved. 800-848-9222. Brandon is in New Jersey. Hello, Brandon. Hey, Frank. Uh, After your story earlier this week about uh, arguing with the bartender over the glasses, there's been some speculation that maybe you get angry when you've been drinking. Do you uh, think that's true? Have you ever been approached about curtailing? drinking or gambling and would you if it uh you know what, um, what, what was your second question have i ever been approached about what uh like like an intervention or or curtailing your uh your drinking or gambling uh no uh, well so uh let me let me so am i an angry drunk that's the first question the answer to that is most of the time no but there are times – I mean, I think like most people, when you're drinking, it tends to just sort of underscore and reinforce whatever mood you're already in. So if you're in a, a silly mood and you get drunk, it makes you more silly. If you're in a sad mood and you get drunk, it makes you more sad. I, I think a lot of people drink uh, when they're sad, thinking it's going to make them happy. That certainly doesn't ha- it doesn't happen. But if something were to make you angry when you're sober, you're a lot of times if it's a minor thing, you just kind of shrug and forget about it. But because you're drunk, um, that minor transgression becomes a much bigger deal. So I would say, no, I'm not normally an angry drunk, but there have been uh, several times through it that I can recall, and there I'm sure have been other times that I can't recall, where I have become angry uh, while drinking, including uh, including that uh, Good Friday outing that you alluded to. Second thing, has, I, um, has there been ever an intervention or attempted intervention about uh, drinking or certainly not gambling because uh, for, I've been pretty lucky on the gambling front, knock on wood, and hopefully that continues. But um, as far as drinking goes, no, I don't ever remember anybody saying that I should stop, uh, that I should stop drinking, anybody that knew me. Um, I mean, look, I think if you have ever had an alcoholic in your life, and thanks for the call, Brandon, you kind of know when they're a problem drinker, right? And you know the difference between an alcoholic who's a problem drinker 
and someone who's a heavy drinker. I mean, you see it, right? I, and I think anybody that uh, is in my life, uh, they uh, they see that I, I, it's not really a problem. It doesn't alter my, any of the things that go on in my life, my work life, my family life. It all pretty much goes as is. Now, you can make the argument that maybe I'm a functional alcoholic, but then I would say I put the fun in functional. But, yeah, if my wife ever were to say, uh, as uh, Laura Bush said to George W., it's either me or the bottle – yeah, if my wife ever would have to feel the need to make a drastic point like that, of course I would stop drinking. It, I mean, it's only booze. It's not that important. 800-848-9222. We're going to continue with your questions momentarily. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. In one of the great Friday anthems, and uh, hopefully you've got something fun planned this Friday. I'm supposed to go to this Bruce Springsteen concert tonight, hopefully. Do they cancel concerts if it rains? Does uh, that, unless you know? it's outside, no. Is this concert outside, do you know? Uh, I have no idea. Where is it? I don't. I mean, I know it's in New Jersey, but, uh, I mean, New Jersey's a big state. I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up during the break. I don't know. But, um, yeah, so obviously if it's inside, they wouldn't cancel it. But uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Now, uh, 800-848-9222, we are doing a good old-fashioned. The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. All right. Uh, Let me go and let me say hello to Robert in Suffolk. Hello, Robert. Hey, Frank. Hey, Robert. Given that recent attempts unconstitutionally to have non-citizens vote, do you think that the next step, if that were successful, would be to have non-citizens run for office and create the danger of foreigners possibly subjugating our country? Well, uh, yes, I actually do think that the next step would be uh, non-citizens running for office. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, State Senator Gustavo Rivera has actually uh, proposed allowing that. So I think so. you don't understand. And I'm not in favor of non-citizen voting, just so everybody understands. But and I do believe it's a violation of the New York State Constitution. Um, But America has a long history of non-citizen voting. Uh, We have been we have had non-citizens voting in this country for at least 100 years. Um, And most states did away with it. You know why? 
Uh, actually, no, probably going back 200 years. You know why most states did away with it? Because these non-citizens that were voting came from countries that did not allow slavery. And they wanted to elect people that were opposed to slavery. And so uh, the non-citizen, the people that were in control in the South pre-Civil War, they didn't want these people that were anti-slavery voting. So they said, oh, no, 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 okay, you've got to be a citizen. Um, Do you know where uh, I'm familiar with non-citizens voting? Right here, New York City. You know the last time non-citizens voted? Around 2002 in community school board elections. Non-citizens used to be permitted to vote in community school board elections. They did away with the community school board school board elections, so they obviously can't vote in those anymore. But um, non-citizen voting is not something I'm in favor of, and it is something I believe violates Article 2 of the New York State Constitution. But it's not the be-all and end-all. Uh, because when we're talking about legal immigrants, uh, my uncle, my great-uncle was never an American citizen. Uh, Bill Shatner, never an American citizen. And these are people that contributed greatly to the country, not only financially in terms of their taxes, but in terms of participations in fraternal organizations, their churches, not so much Shatner with the churches, but my certainly with my uncle Attilio, and in terms of being real uh, pillars of their community. Now, if you're talking illegal immigrants, that's a different matter. That's a different matter. Uh, but um, we've seen we've had non-citizens voting in this country going back to at least the 1820s. And you know what? The country was somehow still able to prosper. 800-848-9222. Uh, uh, David is in the Bronx. Hello, David. Yes. Good morning, Frank. Um, let me ask you a question really quickly before I get to my real question. Did, did you read the article I sent you about uh, guns in the uh, around the time of the founding? Yes, I, I did. I, actually, it's it's on my list. I don't know that I'll get to it today, but I did see that. It was good. Oh, okay. All right. Well, it was sort of the preface of my question, uh-huh. but I'll ask it anyway. All right. So um, imagine if the founding fathers were magically transported to today and that they were able to see all the gun violence and the assault rifles and all everything else that's going on in this country, the murder rate, everything else. Do you think they would still choose to write the Second Amendment the way that they did, you know, especially the wording about, uh, you know, a, a militia and uh, the, the people having unfettered weapons or whatever they said? Uh, uh, well, no, I don't. Um, because, well, it's a tough question to answer because so many things are different now. And I don't think the people that wrote that amendment ever thought there was going to be a permanent military in the United States. And they were so they were so reticent to embrace a, uh, a, a permanent military because of their poor experience with the British, among other things, that I think they viewed uh, the need for defense to essentially be they would call up all the gun-owning men in a given community and those people would rush to their community or their country's defense. You know, I'm reading this uh, book now about the Spanish-American War. It's, it's an interesting book, and, and I... I recommend it. When I finish it, I'll I'll tell people about it. But even at the time of the Spanish-American War, part of the reason why Teddy Roosevelt 
and uh, Leonard Wood and others had to organize the Rough Riders is because there really wasn't much of a military. What America would do, even as late as the late 19th century, they'd have a conflict, they'd rally the troops for the conflict, and then they'd essentially disband the whole military except for the minimal amount that they needed to fight American Indians or do whatever they felt was the bare minimum necessary. So I I don't think they would write that amendment now if they had in mind that there was going to be a permanent military. Now, if they were here, I think they would have a thing or two to say about a permanent standing um, army, navy, etc. And um, maybe if they did away with that, they would keep that provision written the way that it would. But I think it was former Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens, who was, of course, appointed by a Republican uh, to the court, who said that uh, that amendment, the Second Amendment, should be worded a bit more precisely uh, that uh, says a well-regulated militia being necessary, yada, yada, yada. The, The words, while in service of the militia, should be added to it. And I think... You'd have a lot of the founders uh, say that same thing. But the thing and thank you for the call, David. Very interesting, as always. Um, The thing you need to keep in mind, myself, you, anybody. We tend to invoke the founders as these almost mythical demigods. And the founding fathers did some great things. But there's two things you need to keep in mind with the founders. One They were just as screwed up as the politicians of today. Absolutely, 100%, just as messed up. They were alcoholics. They were philanderers. They were guys that wanted to get wealthy. They were uh, sometimes very ambitious, sometimes very self-serving. That's that's the thing you need to keep in mind. They were politicians, just as, as they are today. Number two, they didn't always agree. In fact, they disagreed more than they agreed. Almost everything that's in the Constitution, including the Bill of Rights, is there as a result of compromises. You know, Patrick Henry, I'm drinking from a Patrick Henry mug right now. Patrick Henry didn't even want the Constitution. Didn't even want it. Uh, There were a lot of founders that were totally against the Constitution. They wanted to keep the Articles of Confederation. I mean, um, it's everyone knows, I think, obviously, the uh, heated debates between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, but these are guys that were integral in the crafting of the Declaration of Independence, not the Constitution, but the Declaration of Independence. They didn't agree about government. Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson, two people that were key components of George Washington's presidency, they didn't agree with the nature of how government should be. So the founders didn't always agree with one another. So whenever I'm hit with one of these questions of what would the founders do, what would the founders say? The most important thing to keep in mind is if the founders were here today, whether it's a question about guns, the military or anything else, they would have the same 200 views that they did in the 1780s and the same varying views that political leaders today have. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Laura is in New Hampshire. Hello, Laura. Oh, hi, Frank. How are you? Great. Thank you. Good, good. So um, on Sundays on the Family Channel, they have a Colombo marathon. So like from early in the morning to late at night. 
And have you seen the episode with William Shatner? I have. He's actually not only in uh, one of the episodes, but he's also in one of the Columbo movies. But yes, yes, I have. Oh, he was great, wasn't he? He did such a great job. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I I couldn't agree with you more. I want to ask you, is that true that he's a father as well? Who? uh, William Shatner? Yeah, I thought he said, I saw uh, the other, when you were doing an interview with him, he said that he had a, a baby the same age as you, no, uh, as no, yours, as no, Carmichael. No, 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 no. He, uh, thank you for the call, Laura. Um, no, he has three daughters, uh, three daughters and several grandchildren. His oldest grandchildren, I think, is uh, about 20, maybe 21, right around there. But no, he's got three daughters. 800 to to Leo is on the Upper East Side. Hello, Leo. Hello, Frank. Good morning. Uh, can I ask two questions? Sure, go ahead. Uh, okay, uh, one is, uh, what do you think, if you know, uh, broadcaster uh, Kelly, but I'm not talking about Greg, I'm talking about uh, the uh, hard radio Jesse Kelly. Are you familiar with him? Uh, oh, I've heard him, but I may, I think I've maybe heard him once or twice. I haven't heard him enough to have any sort of opinion about him. Okay, so forget that one. Uh, I was I was in a youth very crazy about reading and got through my mother's library in very early age. And I went before my age 15 through like difficult books like uh, Steinbeck, uh, The Grapes of Wrath, and uh, Alberto Moravia. The, the woman from Rome and uh, Homer, Iliada, and Odyssey, and stuff like that, which I did not understood really back then. And then I get, get back to it like in my 20s. Uh, did you experience uh, something like that in your, like, between the age 15 and, and uh, 18? Uh, I'm not, I'm so not clear. too early I... to the books. Sorry, Leo, I'm sorry, I'm not clear. So did I experience what exactly between the ages of 15 if and 20? you got to some books, uh, kind of too early, uh, too oh, early oh, oh, in your I... age where well, you maybe. did not really think. And uh, I wanted to also know how many books like you read before your age 20. I, yeah, thank you, Leo. I, I don't know how many books I've read I, 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 before the age 20. But no, I think once you're a teenager, you can kind of handle you know, a lot of adult literature. I I do think I tried to read some books in middle school and maybe even grade school that were probably a little bit above my, uh, my pay grade. You know, I tried to, when I was about 19, 18 or 19, read Robert Caro's The Power Broker, which is a tough book to get through. Uh, it's very tough at 18, and I never finished it, uh, so I'll say that. Uh, but I, I will go back and read portions of it, even still to this day, but I've never finished that book, Robert Caro's uh, The Power Broker, so maybe that's one. 800-848-9222. Uh, Lorraine is in Bayonne. Hello, Lorraine. Oh, hi. Good, Frank. Um, nice to talk to you. You too. Uh, yesterday, you were talking about Clint Eastwood's movies. Yes. Did anyone, I, I didn't hear, I mean, well, there was a lot of movies and they were adventurous. Did anyone mention the bridges at Madison County? I, I, I mentioned it as uh, oh, an example oh, of his versatility as both an actor and a director. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, that's a very, very popular film. 
that's my favorite movie. Now, I can see why. I can see why. Not only is Clint great in it, but uh, Meryl Streep is terrific. Oh, she was wonderful. That's for sure. She was wonderful. That's for oh, sure. It's, it's, uh, great it's very, film. Very good. Uh, no doubt about it. Thank you, Lorraine. 800-848-9222. Uh, we'll take a break. We have two open lines if you want to jump on board with uh, this very special edition of Ask Frank Anything. 800-848-9222. Uh, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is him singing a lover's question. All right. Uh, we're going to try and get to as many questions as we can in the next 15 minutes. Hey, I didn't even mention um, that uh, whoever comes up with the best, the most interesting, the most creative question uh, in the mind of Alex Barnard, Matt Blaze, and Kenneth, that person will get a uh, complimentary prize of some sort. So uh, make them good, and I will do my part and try to answer the questions quickly and try to run through them as quickly as we can in the next 15 minutes. 800-848-9222. Uh, Marie is on Long Island. Hello, Marie. Marie? All right. Helena is in Westchester. Hello, Helena. Hi, Frank. I Hi. enjoy you very much. Thank you. Did anybody, did anybody ever tell you that you kind of resemble Shatner, your oh, looks? Uh, Thank you. Somebody said that on Facebook recently when I posted a picture of the two of us. But um, uh, but uh, so I had heard that on Facebook, but uh, not until then. Yeah, I kind of think so. Okay, so my question's kind of personal, but you said ask Frank sure, anything. Sure, absolutely. So I'll do I'm the best a- I can. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm asking: the first time you had sex. Was it with somebody you were going steady with for quite a while? And if you were, how long were you going steady? Or was it just an uh, a quick overnight encounter? Yeah, it was more the latter. It was not uh, my girlfriend. It was not someone that I was going steady with. It was someone that I had met at a, uh, at a party, and then we went out on a date uh, subsequent to that. And, um, you know, I, uh, I, 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 you know, I didn't really see her much after that. And, um, I'm very, very pretty girl, very beautiful. But, um, 
I don't know. I had a lot going on. I think she had a lot going on. I think we were in different places in our lives. And, um, you know, I've tried to look her up a couple of times over the years to see what she's up to. But she had such a common name that you, I, you try to look her up on social media and there's 9,000 listings that uh, for her. And I've asked one or two people that uh, that were mutual acquaintances of ours many, many years ago if they'd heard from her. Nobody's heard from her in a while. So I haven't seen her since shortly after our uh, co-mingling. But no, it was not someone that I was going steady with, unfortunately. Thank you, Helena. Good question. 800-848-9222. Marie on Long Island is back. Hello, Marie. Hi, everybody. Real quick, Frank. Okay. Um, Mr. Donald Trump might might have a chance to run again. Do you, this is the question though, Frank, this is the question. Do you think he deserves to run? Being what went through on January 6th, do you think that man deserves to get into the White House? Well, I can't imagine you, you, what could happen so, next, Frank. So, Frank, I can't imagine. Okay, well, let me answer your question, right? So you asked two different questions, right? So you said, first, does he deserve to run again? The answer to that is 100% absolutely Yes. Every American that's over the age of 35 and born in this country deserves the opportunity to run. We need uh, as many people running as possible, especially someone as as popular as Donald Trump. Now, does he deserve to be in the White House? That's a much trickier question. And I'll be honest, it's one that I'm still grappling with because I really don't want to vote for Donald Trump. But I'm looking at all the candidates on both sides of the aisle right now. And at the moment, he's the only one that I can vote for because in voting for Trump, you avoid thermonuclear war. You vote for any of these other candidates so far in the race and the world's a more dangerous place. So I'm this is what I'm wrestling with. Right. I don't like Trump's divisive rhetoric. I disagree with him on many key policy issues. I don't think he's a great example for the youth of the country. I don't think he makes um, the American political system, by and large, better. Uh, I think the people he appointed when he had four years in office were some of the worst people ever. And yet, I know with him, there's no nuclear war with Russia. And... I think the fundamental question as Americans we all have to answer is how do we survive? And I get very nervous in seeing what's happening with this Russia-Ukraine situation. And I think the gang that's in power now and a lot of the people on the Republican side that would like to be in power, they make nuclear war uh, as a result of an escalation from an accident much more likely. So um, I don't have an answer to your second question. I have a very, very ambivalent attitude towards that second question. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank. Uh, Going on a soil-free diet after my surgery, I've noticed that the price of soil-free food, especially canned soup, is just out of this world. Four, five, six bucks for a lousy can of soup. Now, I can understand if they did a special process to make it, but they don't. They just was totally putting the salt in it. So how do they get away with shafting people with prices like that? 
And who's really there to say something about it? You know, that is such a great question, uh, Neil, because I've noticed the uh, the same thing when it comes, not specifically when it comes to salt-free foods, but when it comes to a lot of different foods. You know, it really uh, was underscored a week or two ago when, when, you know, my favorite food is eggs. So I saw the egg prices that we're paying compared to a year ago, two years ago, and yet... I see the profits that the companies that sell these eggs are making, and it really does make you think that maybe some of these uh, companies are raising prices, not necessarily solely due to increased costs from inflation, but using that as an increased cost of – of price gouging. So, um, you know, you do have some recourse. If you do think there's genuine price going gouging going on, you have the Department of Consumer Affairs, you have the Better Business Bureau, you have the Attorney General's Office, but honestly, as a consumer, your options are very limited. Uh, and I, it's one of the things that I feel very powerless about is prices in this country, and it's very, it's very unfortunate. Honestly, uh, I wish I had a better answer, uh, but know that I share your frustration. 800-848-9222. Ray is in the Bronx. Hello, Ray. Ray. Yes, Frank. Go ahead, Ray. Thank you. Um, did you like the TV shows uh, a, a Time Tunnel and uh, Land of the Giants? And if so, what was your favorite um episode you know i never saw land of the giant the uh the giants um but i loved the time tunnel um the episode if i had to pick a favorite episode of uh the time tunnel it would be you know i like the episode um where he's on the uh the titanic uh that was a pretty cool one right and uh there was also a uh pretty cool episode where um with robin hood and I like that one because I'm a fan of the old Robin Hood movies. Uh, so those are the two that uh, that always stand out, stand, stood out for me is the Robin Hood one and the and the uh, and the Titanic one. But there's a lot of good ones. There's the, the one where Abraham Lincoln was on. That was pretty good. I never saw Land of the right. Giants. I'm told it's great, but I, I have not seen it. 800-848-9222. Mike the Millennial is in Denver. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. Thank you for taking my call. It's good to talk with you again. Um, I'll make this really quick. Um it's kind of a question that'll make you think, though. What is the worst piece of advice you were ever given, and why did it turn out to be the worst piece of advice? Uh, it's a good question, uh, and I'm very solicitous of advice, so I could probably write a book with all the good advice that I have uh, have gotten. In fact, let me write that down, and all the bad advice that I've gotten over the years. Uh, but if I had to pick, there's two pieces that stand out, uh, and they're both related to my chosen profession. One was from a talk show host that I worked with when I was a, an intern. And he basically said that uh, I told him that I aspired to be a, a radio talk show host. And he said, I don't think that's something that you should aspire to because um, instead just view it as something that may or may not happen. And similarly is from a radio executive that I worked for who said uh, that uh, I don't, to me, I don't think that your talents really lie as a talk show host. I think your talents lie more as a radio producer. And both of those people were saying it from a very good place. They were fond of me and liked the job that I was doing for them at the time. But it was not something that I thought was good advice because I didn't take that advice. But it really could have hindered had I, because these were two people that I really respected. They um, they really it could have hindered how 
driven I was along my chosen career path, whereas advice that I got from people like Curtis Lewa, Brian Whitman, uh, Richard Bay, uh, others, they were much more encouraging of continuing to pursue a career in broadcasting. So had I not gotten encouragement from someone and just listened to these two people at two different points in my career that said did not pursue this, then I might have not gotten the chance to do this, which is the job that I have always dreamed of doing. And now I know a lot of you don't think I'm that great, and a lot of you are saying those guys were right, and I don't blame you. But, hey, I wouldn't be sitting here if that were the case. 800-848-9222. Two two. That's uh, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. You know what I'm going to ask you to do, Kenneth? Just rank your top three here, and then uh, so we can get as many as we can in the next three minutes. Hello, Dan in Queens. Hello. Thanks, Frank. A question. I know over the years you said very positive things about Tucker Carlson. Any negative thoughts? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, I think a lot of the revelations that have come out in this Dominion suit don't uh, portray him in the in the best light. I but let me not judge his private thoughts. Let me judge what he says on TV. I think his handling of the January 6th videos was weak and misleading. I think uh, a lot of the dopey nicknames that he gets in the habit of um of uh, using for people, I think is incredibly sophomoric and beneath the intellectual caliber of his show. I think the sort of silly laugh that he does when a reporter or someone says something that he doesn't agree with, I I think that's a little silly and I find it a little annoying at times. And I'm sure there are many other things. But on balance, the thing that I like most about Tucker is that it's different. It's the same thing I like about Smirconish. Very different worldviews, obviously. But those two shows are unlike anything else that's on cable news. Cable news is a wasteland of dreck and mediocrity and sameness. Tucker and Smirconish stand out as being different. And I find that incredibly appealing. 800-848-9222. Leo is on Long Island. Hello, Leo. Hey, Frank. How are you? Good, Leo. What's your question? So if you had a date on Tuesday with a stripper, would you go? If I had, well, being married or not being married? Being married. Being married? No, of course not. I wouldn't go on a date with anyone. All right. Well, suppose you had an opportunity to spend a night in a hotel room with the most beautiful girl you've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, same answer. You know, no, I mean, um, being married, I, I wouldn't. I mean, you, I got to take, you know, if you're going to be married and cheat on your wife, what's the point of being married, right? So, no. Uh, but I, I did uh, have a chance to uh, have a relationship with a number of strippers prior to being married. And uh, some of them are very nice people, very beautiful women. And uh, I'm glad, glad I got to know and got to know them. But, uh, no, I certainly don't need to do that after being married. Mark's in Baltimore. Hello, Mark. Thank you. Your show is great, and my question is this. You're so smart. What do you attribute your breadth of wealth and knowledge to? Get out of here. Uh, That's the most absurd question of the night. I am at best of average intelligence. I think the reason some people think I'm I'm smarter than I actually am is because of uh, some advice I took from Rush Limbaugh, not directed at me, but directed at someone else. That if you learn how to read, write, and speak the English language to the best of your ability, you can 
fool people into thinking you're more intelligent than you are. Best question. David in the Bronx about the founding fathers and gun control. David, once again, best question. Call back if you want to add a prize to your collection. Till next hour, your influence counts. Use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. As I've mentioned before, my parents got divorced. I think when I was around five or six years old, and uh, very lucky to still have a relationship uh, with with both of them. Very positive relationship, and uh, you know, I don't definitely don't feel traumatized in the least. But in th- in thinking about the, our next subject, there's one thing that occurred to me that my parents, while they were a couple had many friends in common. Obviously, a lot of people that were genuinely friends with both of them. People whose houses they would go over, people who would come over to their house, people they would go out to dinner with. And then after they got divorced, for the most part, that wasn't the case. There were... I only remember one couple, Adele and Samia, who were their neighbors at their old house who remained genuine friends with both of them. And they would spend an equal amount of time with both of them, have uh, my mom over, then have my dad over another day. Other than that, pretty much everyone else, consciously or subconsciously, chose a side. They picked either Stephanie or Carmine. Uh, And I don't think they necessarily made that much of a strategic decision Obviously, for instance, the neighbors that my mom stayed living next to, they would chip pick her. Not that they had anything against my dad. They would all say, hey, when you see your old man, tell him hi. You know, it was all fine. And it occurred to me recently because uh, a couple that my wife and I are friends with, they told me, they told us that they were getting a divorce. Now, it's uh, I was friends with both of them before they got married. But my wife asked me, well, if they they are getting divorced and we have to choose a side, who do we pick? And I said, hmm, well, I don't really want to choose a side. I was friends with both of them before they were married. I'd like to continue being friends with both of them. And she said, yes, you're right. And so would I. But let's say you throw in a party. What are you going to do? Are you going to invite both of them? I said, yes. I guess I am. She said, well, what if one of them says to you, you know, I don't want to go if my ex is there? And I said, hmm. And then I had no more answers. Uh, another couple that I'm that I'm very well acquainted with, they told me, they one of the, the husband told me that they're likely, very likely, to be getting a divorce. Same situation. I'm very good friends with both partners in this couple. 
So my question for you is, how do you pick if you're either an individual or part of a couple, how do you pick if there's a married couple that you are genuinely friends with both of them? I'm not talking about like I have one couple that um, everyone likes the husband, but the wife just sort of comes along. Same thing with uh, I know another couple where the opposite is true of those genders. How do you pick who to stay friends with? What criteria do you use? What factors do you consider? Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever uh, thought about this? How has it worked out? Do you just let what happens happens? What if you have to throw a party and you can only invite one of them? What do you do? How do you pick? 800-848-9222. Obviously, those of you that are Curb Your Enthusiasm fans. By the way, going into the 12th and what looks to be the final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I'm glad. I'm glad they're coming back for one more season. I'm glad that we know this is likely to be the the final season. Uh, But I'm also glad that they're leaving while the show is still great. I mean, if you look at the longest-running animated series in history, The Simpsons, that show should have ended 15 years ago. And it's it's past its prime. Arrested Development, another great show that stayed on way too long. Murphy Brown, you know, they use the phrase, jump the shark, because that's when they say happy days, jump the shark. I don't love the term, but I get what it means. um, Murphy Brown. Another show which stayed on way too long. News radio probably stayed on one season too long. So, um, Curb Your Enthusiasm, they're, I think, leaving right at the right time, quality-wise. But they did an episode about this where Larry announces to his friends that they're that he's getting divorced from his wife. If you have thought about how to pick which couple to stay friends with, give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Uh, this is from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Cheryl left me. What? What? What do you mean she left you? She's gone. She left. True. But let me make my point. None of us at this table ever would have met Cheryl. If not for Larry David. That's true. That's true. Very true. I brought her into your lives. Cheryl's a great girl. But we have to stick with Larry. People are going to take sides now. Listen, this is the time we have to stand behind Larry. Hey, that could be Cheryl. You'll get it later. We don't answer the phone at dinner. What? I'll answer no, it. No, no, no. No, the phone. Susie, happen. what kind of f***ed up rule is no, that? we don't what? answer what? the phone. What? Get the hell? What are you, crazy? Don't answer the phone. Jesus. Forgot to cancel my reservation at Primo's. I used my cell phone. Out in the hall, not in the All kitchen. All right, pipe down. <laughs> that was clearly an instance of they had planned to pick Larry, but then clearly they moved on to Cheryl. By the way, you know the actress who plays Cheryl on Curb Your Enthusiasm? Cheryl Hines is, I believe, her real name. You know who she's married to? Robert F. Kennedy Jr., I'm wondering what kind of role, now that he's running for president, and but you know who else is uh, working on Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s campaign? Guest of ours a couple of weeks ago, Dennis Kucinich. 
he's going to be a big advisor or is a big advisor to Robert Kennedy Jr.'s campaign, which I was happy to see. But I do wonder, she's so high profile and so popular, quite frankly, I do wonder if she's going to be out there a little bit more than your typical political spouse. But if a couple's getting divorced, how do you pick who to stay friends with? How do you pick which one? 800-848-9222. That is the question. A question. Since before your son burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. What is your answer? 800-848-9222. What did people do with Larry and Cheryl? Probably going to be some party. Um, okay, here's the thing. Cheryl's going to be there. Are you comfortable with that? I'm comfortable. I don't think anybody else will be comfortable. Well, they're going to have to, uh, it's their problem, isn't it? You know? Here's the thing. My wife and I talked about it, and, uh... We chose Cheryl. They chose Cheryl. How do you pick which one to choose? Steve in New Jersey. If you want to give us a call, 800-848-9222, open line. Steve in New Jersey, how do you pick? Hey, Frank, listen, you like both people. Both people should be invited. No one should give anyone an ultimatum. And therefore, if they can't work it out, at least you covered all your bases and you invited both. Okay, so uh, take me through this. So let's say, for instance, um, uh, Carmine's second birthday, right? Uh, Normally, they'd probably both be invited. And your view is uh, I still invite both of them. And if one of them says, hey, is uh, Sammy coming? And I said, well, I don't know, but he's invited. And- no, 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 no. See, you made a mistake. Don't, you don't say, I don't know. Yes, we love both of you, and both of you are invited. And what if— they what if, work it out. What if that person then says, all right, well, I'm really not comfortable. We had such a bad split. Uh, he was um, mentally abusive, physically abusive, and I'm not comfortable being in the same room as him. So I, I don't—if he's invited and coming, I don't think I can come. Oh, so 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 therefore, they, she's what she is like the jury and the judge, and all of a sudden he's guilty of what she says. Right. Well, oh, so your view is if they don't want to come, if the other person is there, then that's their loss. That's right. I okay. Another day. You know, Steve, I like that attitude. I'll be honest. Thank you. That was the attitude that uh, I. That's the attitude that I take for almost everything. Uh, when at, we got married, we had a lot of people that came to our wedding. We had uh, feuding politicians. We had, uh, you know, Curtis and John Gotti Jr., who claims that John Gotti Jr. ordered his shooting. Uh, We had uh, people of different uh, feuding families. And my attitude was invite everybody. So I am sympathetic to what Steve says, that where you just invite everybody. 800-848-9222 if you agree or disagree. Matt Blaze, you, you, I always love when, I can tell you want to say something, you inch up a little bit. What, what do you want to, what do you no, want to add? I was, well, I was writing something down, but no, oh, okay. um, I, I know the situation that you were in because it happened to me with my parents. Oh, I see. But they got divorced you, after 20 years of oh, being oh, married oh, okay. and having the same group of friends and couples together. And I was just telling Ken that when my dad got remarried, he invited who, when my parents first met, they met was my mom's best friend and my dad's best friend was her cousin. That's how they met, even though they went to the same high school. And then when my dad got remarried, he invited them to his new wedding and my mom did get a little upset oh, that interesting. her best friend 
and is still her best friend, was invited to his wedding. So I would say that most of the people, not that they made a conscious decision to pick my mom, but my mom stayed friends with them where my dad did not. Mm. Well, why do you think your dad... So, really, they kind of picked. the Your mom and dad sort of picked for, for everybody based on making an effort of who to stay yeah, in touch I with. Yeah, I mean, because I think when the kids were all older at this point, I, they were either late teenagers or I was already, like, at, like in my 20, early 20s. And I think my dad was the one that moved away because he moved into, like, New Jersey where everybody at that point still lived in Rockland County in New mm. York. And right. See, that's what that's what I, I think happened right. with my parents is, you know, my dad moved to a different house. So obviously a lot of the people that he was friends with from the neighborhood, he didn't necessarily see them anymore. Right. So that that because he was the one that moved away, that the couples and my mom still stayed friends. Inter- yeah. OK. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. But it's interesting that your mom got a little uh, ticked off that her friend w- was invited to that the second wedding. Yeah. Did um, did the friend go to the wedding? Yes. And she did. Oh, yeah. Th- they were there and they said it to me. Like I knew my mother was a little upset about it. And if we were at well, my dad was kind of crazy. So at the time we were kind of like, how is he getting married again? It was like that was the situation. I mean, isn't that a question you could ask anybody? Though? <laughs> yeah, right? true. So, um, but I remember um, there were times like my parents, even after the divorce, they still got along. Right. They right. still did too, things. And, and, yeah. and we still, at times, if there was a party or something like that, they still all went. There was never, and, and the couples were there and the friends were there and everybody was all there. And there was never any like any of that where, oh, she, he's going to be there. I don't want to be there. There was none of that. Well, that's, for my that's very mature. You know, I, I, 800-848-9222, I really think that happens when it's a very, uh, I mean, it sounds like with your parents, and it was certainly the case of mine, it was a relatively amicable uh, split. I mean, sometimes you just realize you're married to the wrong person for you, right? But um, I, uh, and I, I mean, I don't know the details, but um, I think that when it's a very tough split, that's when you have people making, you know, ultimatums and making demands of other people. And it's I do agree with Steve that it's a little unfair. 800-848-9222. What did people do with Larry and Cheryl? Hi, Jody. Hey. What are you doing tomorrow? Let's play golf. I can't. Larry, the Funkhausers have made a decision. We're going with Cheryl. There you go. The funk man chose Cheryl. 800-848-9222. Kenneth, your parents are divorced also, right? Yes, they are. And then well, did they run into that situation where uh, people were, were friends with both of them and then they had to pick one or the other? No, to be honest with you, they didn't get along very well after the divorce. So, Oh, really? It, it wasn't one of those things like... If my mom had a big birthday party for me, my dad wasn't going to go. Well, no, to obviously that, that, that sort but, of thing. But, but let's say but like now, mutual they, friends that they had that were friends with both of them. They picked. Uh, how do they pick which one? No, nah, to be honest, they never really had oh, they too didn't. many mutual friends. Oh, no. interesting. But right. I, I'd be of the opinion of Steve as well. Like you invite both, just invite both, and whoever doesn't want to go doesn't go. All right, I, you know, I, I think that idea has a lot of appeal. And if they want to stay in separate rooms, you know, or stay in separate areas, I think that's fine. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. What did Larry and Cheryl do? You know, when she'll be back. Mm-mm, I don't. But it was good to see you, Elena. Hello, Elena. Mister Larry. What are you doing here? I work for Mrs. Cheryl. You chose Cheryl? 
Yes. See, even the staff had to choose at times. You know, it's funny. Um, I remember, you know, you know, I was always sad whenever somebody in our family would die on either side. But there was a small part of me that was a little happy, right? Because whenever, uh, like, let's say when my mom's uh, dad passed away or uh, my uncle Carmine, I mean, I was a little older at that point, but um, or, um, you know, my father's mom or somebody on either side or my great grandmother, Katie, there was a small part of me that would be a little happy when someone would pass away in our family, because what would happen is, let's say it was someone in my dad's family that, you know, I was close to and he was close to, my mom would come to the wake. And I wasn't necessarily, I didn't care necessarily that uh, she was coming to the wake. I thought it was nice. But I was happy that she got to see all of her old in-laws who she had a good relationship with and then really didn't get to speak to. And the same with my dad. When someone of my mom's family would die and he would come to the wake, I could tell a lot of his old in-laws were happy to see him. And uh, I think he was probably happy to see them. And I remember when uh, Curtis's father passed away, he had been recently divorced. And the woman that he was dating basically said, well, well, you know, do you think your ex-wife is going to come? And Curtis said, well, yeah, I, I do. He, he, she was very close uh, to uh, to my dad. And uh, I and then she said, well, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I said, well, that and Curtis said that happens all the time. People go to their ex-in-laws uh, wakes and funerals and uh, people say hello to one person and they say hello to uh, the other people. And it's very common. But some people have a tough time just with that. I remember when um, Rudy Giuliani's mom had passed away. This is going back a number of years. He was recently divorced from, uh, maybe not that recently, from Donna Hanover, who's Andrew's mother. And uh, Donna went to the wake. And I think it was kind of a similar situation. I I think um, it's really so unfair to put people in the position of having to choose. And I I think, you know, listening to Steve, that's kind of become kind of where I am on uh, this whole thing is that you really shouldn't, unless anybody can make a compelling case or provide a compelling rubric as to how to pick one couple or another. 800-848-9222. I wasn't invited to your fundraiser. What, what fundraiser? The Ocean's fundraiser. Oh! Uh, I thought you were a global warming guy. I just really? Didn't... Yeah. You're going with Cheryl, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How great is Ted Danson? You know, my wife and I are watching Cheers, and we're, we're almost done with the series, and she is she's about ready to be done with this series three years ago. Okay, and we're we're there's eleven seasons, and we're on season eleven, episode twenty. She cannot be done with this series fast enough. And last night they had a great episode that we watched, where Ted Danson gets locked out of his bar, and he has nowhere to sleep, and um, because his uh, well, I don't want to get the whole episode, but um, the acting of Ted Danson in that episode and in all the Curb Your Enthusiasm episodes that he's in, it's just really second to none. 800-848-9222. Nick in New Jersey, what's on your mind? Oh, hi, Frank. How you doing there? I wanted to ask you about this old show. It, it, it was back, started in the late 90s and went into the early 2000s, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you ever had that blonde actress on your uh, show, 
uh, Sarah Michelle Geller. Did you ever? Uh, what do you think about that show? I, you know, I'll be honest. I know it was popular. I never saw it. I never saw one episode. I did see the film uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer met decades ago. If I'm not mistaken, I think Donald Sutherland is in that. But um, I have uh, never seen the show. I, I don't know that it was really my thing. And there was a spinoff of that show called uh, Angel. But I don't think that I had uh, seen any episodes of that as well. I'm trying to think. Of, I know there's been one or two films that uh, Sarah Michelle Galar, as I like to call her, have has been in. And I thought she was very good. She's certainly a real beauty and a talented actress. But I never saw that show specifically, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But I like vampires, meaning I don't like to hang out with them. But I like stories about vampires. I like I like horror. I like everything supernatural. Hey, speaking of things that are a little unusual, we're going to be talking with Earl Grey Anderson in five minutes. Earl Grey Anderson is one of the leaders in this group called MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. And he's done a lot of work examining what they call experiencers, people who have experienced a uh, an encounter with a UFO. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that conversation. He was just featured in this documentary that I watched, and he was great. And he's one of the greatest experts on this stuff that there is. And um, I was, uh, I, I kept reading issue after issue, and I keep seeing UFO conference after UFO conference. And I really want to do our show from one of these UFO conferences. I think it would be so much fun. I've raised this, and um, uh, I guess it hasn't come to fruition yet, but I hope it does soon. Maybe even from Roswell. Wouldn't that be fun? Or Las Vegas? That would be great. But um, the he's a featured speaker at so many of these and he's really terrific i'm looking forward to uh talking with him all right if you uh, have anything further to say on this subject i'd love to hear from you six open lines 800-848-9222 joe is in westchester hello joe oh hi there um i first of all i agree with the uh, the first gentleman because i had a similar situation when i was first divorced and my friends had a baby christening, and she said to me, well, what am I going to do? You know, do I invite you or Ken? And I said, well, invite both of us, and if he wants to come, he comes. I'm definitely going to come. So that's what she did, and I went, and he didn't. Did he not go because you were attending? I don't know that. I see. I see. So Because it- I, he... He and I were not communi- communicating, so um, I don't know. All I know is he didn't show up. So I think but he. Go ahead. Um, no, that's okay. Yeah. It, so um, I think you're the perfect person to then ask about this, Joe, since you had sort of it sounds like an acrimonious split from uh, from your husband. So when you guys got divorced, did you find that? a lot of your friends ended up picking one of you or the other. Um, I, I, I think I would have to say it was 50, 50. Okay. All right. Um, and, it, and it was mostly, um, you know, the, the, the women would pick me and most of our friends were initially his friends to begin with. And, you know, they were his drinking buddies, and that's part of the reason we 
split. Ah. Um, and, but, you know, but the people on the block, uh, um, I, uh, I lost my house. I had to move because of him. But a lot of the neighbors stayed with me. You know, um, well, that's good to know, uh, Joe. I'm, I hope you're doing okay now. I appreciate you sharing that. It sounds like oh, that was I, a tough thing to go through. Oh, well, I have another story. Oh, yeah, though. let me hear it. Okay, be my guest. <laughs> uh, and I, I'm fine. You know, I'm. my kids are all fine. They're all grown and have successful lives. And um, I'm up in age now, but I'm fine. And he died from his disease. Well, when he was 57. Well, that's, uh, it sounds like uh, you, you saw all the signs there, Joe. Uh, thank you very much for the call. Um, one other thing just on this subject before we move on to Earl Grey Anderson, who in addition to being a great guest is a great, delicious cup of tea. He just asked Jean-Luc Picard. I, uh, someone I know, they, who I'm related to, quite frankly, they were divorced, right? And... Their mutual friends, she and her previous, uh, you know, her previous husband, she's married to somebody else now. She, she and her previous husband had a whole bunch of friends because they were, I think, either high school or college sweethearts, maybe both. And they had a lot of friends that essentially they grew up with, including a lot of people that were her friends. Well, the ex-husband tells all their friends this tale of woe about how his wife did him wrong, right? And all of their friends, I don't know what he told her, what he told the friends, but all of their friends chose the ex-husband. All of them. And I said to this person, I said, well, did you say anything to them? Did you did you say, well, hey, the story you're getting from Matthew is, is not exactly accurate. I have an aside of this story, too. And and this person said to me, nope, nope, because if they don't want to be uh, friends with me just based on something they've heard without even checking with me to see if that, that that's true, then that's not the kind of person that I want to be friends with. So it's a tough issue, uh, but that call from Steve, I think, is very helpful in terms of my own decision-making process because I'm going to um, – I'm going to invite everybody to everything just as I normally would. Done. And you know what was nice? I had I knew, friends with another couple, same situation. They weren't married, but I, w- I was friends with both of them before they coupled up, still friends with both of them. And one of them wrote to me and said, hey, you know, I just want you to know so-and-so and I had a nice talk over the weekend. And if you ever do something at your house that we're both invited to, you don't need to feel awkward. You can invite us both. And I thought that was a very nice thing to do, very considerate. All right, let's talk aliens. Earl Grey Anderson is here, and I'm excited. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The Other Side of Midnight presents The Midnight Files. Desert 
Shooting stars across the sky This magical journey Will take us on a ride Filled with the longing Searching for the truth Will we make it till tomorrow Will the sun shine on you Midnight in the desert And we're listening Ooh, we're listening to you Well, it's no secret that there have been many UFO sightings around the world and in this country. And oh, for the better part of a half century, there is a group, a nonprofit organization composed entirely almost of civilian volunteers who study reported UFO sightings. It is one of the oldest largest, and I would venture to say most reputable organizations of its kind. And we learned recently that they were actually the the integral force behind getting those congressional UAP hearings. They have more than 4,000 members nationwide, excuse me, more than more 4,000 members worldwide with chapters and representatives in more than 43 countries and all 50 states. Very pleased to be joined by the state director of Southern California, MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. He is a MUFON star team member as well as an executive committee member of MUFON's Experiencer Resource Team. He's been featured on Ancient Aliens. He's been featured in the documentary I Want to Believe. He's been featured in the MUFON documentary, which we chronicled at the time it came out. MUFON and UFOs, the proof is out there. Very pleased to welcome Earl Gray Anderson. Earl, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thank you, Frank. It's good to be on with you guys. Uh, the pleasure is all ours, uh, Earl. Tell folks how you developed an interest in this stuff. I, I know your background is primarily as a musician, right? So w- how does that lead to yes. l- hunting for aliens? Well, let's see if I can make a long story really short. Um, my mom back – now, I'm, I'm, I'm turning 65 next month, so I'm not a young Turk anymore. Congratulations. You know? Well, 65 thank is you, young. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I, I wondered how I would, you know, deal with the Beatles song when I'm 64, <laughs> when I hit that magic age. And actually, I kind of embraced it. It seems to be my favorite song. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do after next month, you know. <laughs> I don't think there's any songs about being 65. But um, back when I was five years old, uh, we were living in Venice, California, myself and my, my family, my mom and my dad. And it was no secret to my family that my mom had worked for Howard Hughes. She was one of Hughes's private secretaries over at his old Sepulveda um, Hughes aircraft facility here in Los Angeles. Um, But my mom, you know, I'll never forget. And I have a very, very good memory. I mean, I remember stuff that I probably shouldn't remember. But uh, it just some of us seem to have a propensity for that. Um, but you know, I went into our bright yellow cheery kitchen, <laughs> uh, and, and mom was making breakfast and she sits down and she starts talking to me, but it was a weird conversation. She was talking to me almost like she was talking with another adult. And she, she was telling me about how 
that, well, you know, when I used to work for Hughes Aircraft, um, your mom had a really strange job there. And she went on to tell me about how they, she went with a security detail uh, out to the middle of the Great American Desert. She didn't say which, she didn't specify, and I could never get that out of her. I've got hints. But she said that they took her out to the middle of nowhere with a little security detail, and that there was this a shack, like a bunker, that was there. Nothing else around. It was just, you know, just just sand and and uh, cacti and and uh, this bunker. So she <laughs> she wondered, you know, why they took her out to the middle of nowhere to, you know, look at what a tractor or tools. I mean, it didn't look like it was much. Um, but anyway, they opened this thing up. It was quite secured. It was all locked up, and um, there was an elevator that was in the back of this bunker. And my mom said that they got into the elevator. They they did not give her any warning of where she was going. And I, I, I suppose it was just to see how she would react under pressure or extraordinary circumstance. Um, she said that they got in the elevator and that it kept going down. She thought that it was going to go down a floor or two. And she said that she was getting butterflies in her stomach. Um, now, when the elevator finally came to a stop, and it was apparently quite you know, quite a, a drop, uh, she said that the doors opened up and there was this little city under the desert, that there were rocket scientists that were working uh, working there, uh, some that we had acquired uh, from Project uh, Paperclip at the end of the Second World War. Um, and she said that they would get around in golf carts. She said it was like a little city down there. That they had, uh, you know, she had a guy that could do her hair there, that there was a barber shop, but the guy could also perm her hair for her. Uh, that they had a movie theater, uh, a bowling alley, little cafes and things like that. So, you know, my mom was telling me this weird story, and then she kind of adds this, this little addendum at the end of the story. Oh, and by the way... Um, there was a great interest in UFOs, uh, the, you know, the, the whole UFO thing and the idea of, of, of life out in outer space is a real thing, son. And that was the end of the conversation. Um, and I kind of grew up with that little bit of knowledge, uh, always in the back of my mind. Um, you know, she would bring it up once in a while with her sister when my aunt would come out to visit but it would always be kind of hush-hush and, you know, behind closed doors mostly. Um, but uh, as the years went by, well, I took my mom to see the movie Star Wars when it came out. And for some reason, she got talking again. I was maybe, I think I was about 17, 18, 19, 19 years old. It was 1977. Um, and, and when the film finished, my mom started talking again. <laughs> All those years later, and she said, son, you have no idea how close to the truth that movie is. The different beings, the, the spaceships and all that. Um, it's realer than you will ever know. And that phrase kind of stuck with me because it was kind of like, well, I want to know, you know. Um, and, and, you know, at, at, at one point when I was about 10 years old, I, I actually went and did like a little show and tell in front of my class. And, and, and I told my mom's story. And, uh, you know, I got a lecture from my mom. I, the, the teacher did a parent-teacher conference after that with my mom. 
And, uh, you know, that was when she told me, she said, son, how did you remember that? You were just a baby when I told you that. You know, I told you that because I didn't think that you would remember. She said, your mom's not supposed to talk about this to anybody, and you can't talk about it. You can't ever talk about it again because your mom could get in trouble. Your mom could go to prison. Um, so um, that was really kind of the flashpoint in my life um, from a very early age. I, I had this knowledge. It, it wasn't fleshed out in any way. It was just that, you know, that we had these this great interest in the government about this thing that was supposedly not real. Because, <laughs> you know, all the scientists, they'd come on TV and they would... They would sort of, you know, it was the ridicule factor is the way that I think that they've, you know, used that since the 1950s. Yeah, now that's really interesting. So based on that conversation or that series of conversations with your mother, what's your belief about what Howard Hughes's involvement was with UFOs, with alien technology or anything resembling any of that sort of work? Well, I think he was one of the first private contractors. Now, we know that he had a, an interest in what was going on, the, the contactee movement, which was happening in Joshua Tree. Um, and, and, you know, he would take a private plane out there, and, and, uh, and, and, and he knew everybody that was involved with, with that group. But I think that the the other thing, you know, my mom, whenever Werner von Braun would come on, like Walt Disney a wonderful world of color or something. Uh, she would go, oh, there's my friend Werner. I, I used to work with Werner, and she'd say, well, he's, you know, he's he's a charming man and very, very smart. And, and when I got older, you know, I'd kind of put it to mom, like, well, wasn't he a Nazi? I mean, he can't be that nice of a guy. And that got her talking a little bit more. You know, she said, well, no, he just wanted to go to to the moon. He wanted to go to outer space. And they, they kind of forced him in Germany to do that stuff. You know, he came up with the V2 rockets that bombarded uh, Britain and um, caused a whole lot of damage and, and, and loss of life. But uh, apparently my mom knew him as well. Wow. So... Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, I, it was just it was just very weird. And it, 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 I kind of, you know, other than that, you know, mom, as, as time went on, like back in the mid 1970s, she went back to work as a as a private uh, headhunter for various aerospace companies. And I think because she had the security clearances all, you know, lined up. They tend to keep people in once they know certain things. You know, it means that they they don't have to tell other people quite as much. Uh, but I think my mom was sort of in a unique position because nowadays they'll compartmentalize everything. Nobody has the whole story. Sure. You know. No, that's uh, that's really uh, really interesting. All right, um, you you mentioned Howard Hughes's involvement with the contactee movement. Uh, Let's talk about your work with experiencers. Uh, For people that are unfamiliar with the term, what is an experiencer as it relates to UFOs? An experiencer is somebody that has had contact with the beings that are flying the UFOs. Um, You know, some believe that it's an interdimensional uh, phenomenon. Other people believe that they're astronauts from other planets. Uh, some think that they're us from the future. They're using time machines to come and visit us. 
Um, I think it could possibly be all the above, maybe. Uh, I don't think that this phenomena is all one thing, but uh, I do think that it's been here since time immemorable. Uh, I kind of agree with ancient aliens on that, that I think that back in antiquity, they would see something strange in the sky and they would call it a god or, you know, it it, it, it would, or they would uh, come up with fanciful uh, winged chariots or, or winged, uh, winged shields is what you'd see in, in, in Italy, in Rome. But uh, the, this phenomena has always been with us. And uh, I think that, that what we're experiencing now is just it's, it's the, the face that's presenting to us at, at this point in our evolution and where we're at. So and I think you... that Howard Hughes knew a lot about this. For, I think that he was, well, he was one of the earliest con- private contractors. Uh, I do know that he had one of the early, he had the earliest privately owned uh, lab at Area 51. Uh, Richard Souter found out that for me. He's, uh, Richard writes primarily about underground bases, not so much about UFOs and stuff. But uh, I talked with him about that and he said, well, your mom could have been working at Area 51. Uh, because Hughes did have a lab there. I wonder what <laughs> became of Hughes's work after he passed. <clears throat> I really don't know. You know, I mean, this has been, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, some people think of me as somebody who's searching for aliens, but but I'm so I, I'm searching for my mom as well, and, mm. and I'm really interested. I I really would like to know what you know part Hughes played in all this. But, you know, people who have had face-to-face encounters with E.T., uh, it changes a person. And there's really no place for you to turn when this happens to you. Um, I've got uh, scientists. I I have a TSA agent who's been through this, uh, pilots, uh, PhDs, and then, you know, just these people that are just people, you know, the person behind the cash register. Um you know, we see certain markers from case to case, like bloodlines seem to be important. Uh, if the family has a military background or, or that uh, experiencer themselves has a, a military background, that seems to be of interest to our visitors. But uh, the face-to-face thing, I think, is, 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 is really the gist of why they're here. I, I, I don't think they're just here to do air shows. As far as you've, uh, as far as you're concerned, with the evidence that you've seen and and the people that you've interviewed that have had experiencers, and if people are just ta- tuning in, we're talking with uh, Earl Gray Anderson from MUFON. You can learn more about MUFON at m u f o n dot com. There's no doubt in your mind that these experiences, these encounters, are genuine and real. Uh, I've, I've had a, an experience myself, actually. My, my wife and I had what we call our weird week, where one night I had an experience. Uh, it just, uh, I, I guess I asked for it. <laughs> I, I'd been trying this thing called a CE5 meditation, and, and uh, a lot of people do that to, to just see like a light in the sky or a craft, but I had a specific thing I wanted. I wanted to meet the pilots. I, I wanted to meet the ETs. So I, I was pretty naive. I would kind of joined MUFON, I think, five or six months before that. Um, 
and and I was trying this for a couple of weeks, just sending that thought out that you know I want to meet you. You can abduct me if you want, and I would I would I, I would caution anybody out there listening that that's probably something you don't want to say if you're going to do this because it worked and it worked a little too well. Um, first night I had I I actually met beings. Uh, I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. It was sort of one of those proverbial uh, encounters that you read about. Um, my wife thought that I had gone nuts. She thought that I'd had a mental breakdown of some sort. Then two nights later, she's waking. She's shaking me awake. Same thing again. Our 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 room was flooded with light. It, it did not have a source. Uh, and, and she was distraught and I've, I've never really seen my wife distraught before or since. Um, she was just kind of pacing by the bed and, you know, it was like, my God, Earl, you know, you need to tell your little friends they need to leave us the eh, alone. I know we're on the radio, so I'm not, I'm not going to use the word. Um, she said, I didn't sign up for this, my God. And, but then two nights after that, again, our room flooded with this anomalous bluish light. Uh, neither of us were paralyzed this time. Uh, we were able to run to the window. We were up on a second floor, uh, second floor bedroom, and we lived in Burbank, California. Uh, my wife works in the studio systems here. Uh, so it wasn't like some rural area. Uh, and I don't think that everybody in the city could see what was going on. So I think that it was probably a dimensional portal that they opened up in our home. Uh, I think that they're able to show themselves to who they want to see, uh, what they can do, and, and other people are just kind of blind to it. Uh, but we went through this, and it made it personal. Uh, and after that happened, I, I spoke with my state director at the time uh, at MUFON, and kind of a nuts and bolts guy, wonderful mentor, still you know one of my closest friends, Jeff Krauss. Uh, but he he did not want to hear that his field investigator had met aliens. You know, it was it seemed it it, it was just not what he wanted to hear. Uh, he he was very kind of uh, you know critical thinking about everything, and and so am I. I mean that's why I think it would just kind of bowl him over that I even said this to him. Um, I kind of kept this information to myself. Uh, when I would have a new field investigator for MUFON I was training, I would sometimes tell them this what happened to me. I would say, just, this is what happened to me. Just be aware. You know, I felt like I owed them a little caveat, a little, you know, <laughs> just be aware of this. The small print that, you know, if you poke at the phenomena, be careful. It, it, it may poke back, you know, and, uh, but, uh, I, I finally, I met Kathleen Martin, who started up the Experiencer Resource Team at MUFON. She's the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. And uh, it was, was the first really well-known abduction case that happened like 1961, I think, 61. And uh, I told her about what had happened with me, and, and she was just very, very helpful. She was a non-judgmental listener. And she listened to me and, 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 and saw the emotion that I had and the confusion and just was really, really helpful. I mean, she was able to tell me a bit that, you know, there were other cases that were like mine, that there was this renegade group of the gray aliens that seemed to be doing their own thing. 
and that she felt that uh, I had encountered those guys. Probably because I didn't, you know, it, I sent this message out and kind of invited anybody in. I mean, they say never open the door up to a vampire, right? Uh, you know, that and, is wild. Uh, Earl, <laughs> um, I got to run. We're out of time, but uh, you're just a great oh. storyteller, and I'd love to have you back sometime soon, and we can continue the uh, discussion. I'd love to hear about the commonalities sure. between other experiencers that you've interviewed. Thank you for the time this morning. Thank you, Frank. Thank I'd you. Come back. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Frank. Well, last night I was tasked with making dinner. And I will tell you, it was a resounding success. I made um, garlic herb, um, garlic herb baked halibut with a salad with homemade dressing and... um, and, and some spinach. The review from my wife was, I am pleasantly surprised. That's what she said. Got rave reviews. Rave reviews. Till next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It's Friday. That means we are moments away from denunciations. I've got a stack, stack of people and entities, in some cases states, to denounce in mere moments. And you'll get to hear why. Uh, Let me squeeze in a quick call or two, though, if we can. If you want to be heard, by the way, you can do so at 800-848-9222. John is in Freehold. Hello, John. All right, we'll come back to you later, John. Thank you. All right, uh, enough of this uh, delay. Uh, why don't we get to the denouncing? The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciations. Let me begin by denouncing the state of Hawaii. Hawaii. Uh, I had a great time in Hawaii when I was there. I did notice 
how expensive everything was. And when I say everything, I mean everything. And um, there's a detailed study looking at the best and worst states for America's middle class. And the they looked at go banking rates, analyzed a variety of factors spanning the top concerns for middle income Americans. And they characterize middle income as being a family that earns between $35,000 and $99,000 per year. They looked at income, education, housing, and they found that if you look across the board, the absolute worst state for the middle class is Hawaii. I must tell you, I am not the least bit surprised. Um, when I was there, I had a great time. Everything costs a fortune. You want to get a cup of coffee, you better make sure that um, you're eligible for a second mortgage on your house. I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but only slightly. It is very expensive. Really not a, uh, not a great place for middle-income people. I must also denounce Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, her remarks when she was in New York. Now, unlike a lot of people, uh, the mayor and others, I think it's great that she was here in New York. She's clearly a big Trump supporter. Trump was, uh, you know, going to be arraigned. She wanted to show her support. I think that's great. I think as New Yorkers, we should be welcoming to visitors from all over the country and welcoming to visitors of all political stripes. We want increased tourism and we want people to know that New York City is a city for everyone. Now, her comments um, about New York City were... Absurd. This is what she said about the greatest city in the world. She said, New York is disgusting. I compared it to what I called Gotham City. The streets are filthy. They're covered with people um, basically dying on drugs. They can't even stand up. They're falling over. There's so much crime in the city. I can't comprehend how people live there. You know what? Screw you, Marjorie Taylor Greene. You're a guest in our city. Who invited you here? Okay? You want to come here and then trash us? There's a reason that people are moving here from literally all over the world. This is one of the greatest cities in the world. Everything that you said is totally inaccurate. And it tells me you didn't really experience these things. I guarantee you not one person died on drugs in front of her in the time that she was here. Not one. Um, and she's a liar. She clearly was going to make these points about New York City anyway. And it kills me that she would say this because New Yorkers have the greatest character of any city, not just in America, but the world. You want to talk about toughness? You want to talk about wisdom? You want to talk about smarts? You want to talk about demonstrations of physical courage? Ask anybody that survived through September 11th. More so, ask the families of New Yorkers who died on September 11th what it was like waiting for their loved one to come home or waiting to hear any word from them and getting nothing. 
And the last thing that these hardworking and in, in many cases lifelong New Yorkers need is for you to dump on them. But not only is she a liar and not only is she wrong, but she is a little dopey because the things that she said about New York and and the people that are here were also totally inaccurate. She falsely claimed that Eric Adams threatened her. Now, this, I didn't vote for Eric Adams. I, I probably won't vote for him again. But Eric Adams did not threaten her. There was no threat. And once you're claiming that you're threatened when people have not threatened you, that takes away any credibility that you have once you claim that you've been threatened. Because there are people that are, really are being threatened. And now that you've made up being threatened because a politician said something that you don't like about you being here and leading a demonstration, it, it, it so erases the sting of what that accusation means. Additionally, you elevated, as Marjorie Taylor Greene, elevated the public advocate, Jamani Williams, to Eric Adams' hand-picked top deputy. Jamani Williams is not handpicked by anybody except the voters and he's certainly not picked by eric adams and not his top deputy jamani williams was independently elected and he was elected to that position before eric adams was he was a citywide elected official two years before eric adams was two and a half years so she is not just wrong about new york she's just wrong on the facts to me how does this woman have any credibility um, I think the uh, whatever. I'm not going to waste any more time. Uh, she had a great time leading a circus with uh, the her colleague in Congress, George Santos. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Joseph Tavella. Let me give you a pro tip. Anybody listening, if you're going to engage in reckless driving. Don't record yourself doing it and post it on social media. If you're going to ignore that first piece of advice that I gave you, make sure you don't photograph any identifying tattoos. Sure enough, this Connecticut man is accused of recording himself speeding at 130 miles per hour along Route 7 in Norwalk and publicly posting it. Troopers have charged Joseph Tavella with reckless driving, driving while using a handheld device, and second-degree reckless endangerment. State police said they became aware of Instagram and Facebook videos that showed a driver traveling at speeds of about 133 miles per hour. Investigators recognized the strip of highway as Route 7. One video showed Tavella's 1970 Chevrolet Nova speedometer accelerate from 56 miles per hour to 133 miles per hour. Investigators said they noticed tattoos on the driver's right arm. There you have it. Joseph Tavella. For lack of judgment, reckless driving, and pure stupidity, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Judge Naita Samaj, a Bronx judge 
who made a very questionable decision to free a man who strangled his 15-year-old stepson to death. This was the latest in a series of very controversial rulings by the notoriously soft-on-crime judge. You see, criminal court judge Naida Samaj, who won a 14-year term on the bench in November of 2021, has been pretty notorious for letting killers loose on the streets and has even drawn a rebuke from Mayor Adams for going easy on a teen accused of shooting a cop. In February 2022, she cut loose two teenage criminals including one charged with murder, over the objection of the Bronx DA's office. Do you know how bad you have to be for the Bronx DA's office not to want to let you out? I mean, you got to be ready to kill someone on your way out the door for the Bronx DA's office to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't let that guy go. And uh, now Manhattan DA's office uh, prosecutors and the Manhattan DA's office headed by Alvin Bragg, I don't need to remind you, that unless your name is Donald Trump and you're in the process of making hush money payments, being tough on crime is not exactly a high priority for this office. Even this office said, wait a minute, wait a minute. The hold these people on bail. Um, and yet this person, Judge Samaj, lets them all out. Unbelievable. Judge Samaj, I do denounce you. I must denounce snoring. Snoring is apparently being linked now to both brain damage and early dementia. Uh, Specifically, snoring as a result of sleep apnea. This could trigger cognitive decline leading to early dementia. If you snore... I think the best thing for you really is to get a sleep study done to see if you have sleep apnea, because scientists have discovered that slap sleep apnea, which typically results in snoring, cuts off blood and oxygen to the brain, which can lead to continued cognitive decline. So researchers gathered 27 men between the ages of 35 to 70 who were recently diagnosed with mild to severe obstructive sleep apnea, which is when an individual repeatedly stops and starts breathing while asleep. And besides the disorder, the participants were otherwise healthy. Sure enough, these guys were wearing special skull caps while sleeping to allow scientists to measure brain waves, in addition to monitoring blood oxygen levels. And researchers learned that individuals with severe sleep apnea were less aware, less focused, and had short-term memory issues and an inability to meet set goals in daily life. If you have snoring, if you're snoring, get checked. Larry in Brooklyn, for instance, he he told us he has sleep apnea. Get checked. Use the mask. I know people who say their whole life has been changed by taking care of their sleep apnea problem. So snoring... I do denounce you. I must also denounce SUNY Albany, the State University of New York at Albany. They have, they're being accused of racial discrimination because they have an intern program that's for black people only. 
Now the Equal Protection Project has sent a cease and desist desist letter to SUNY claiming their paid summer internship program at two City of Albany Public Library branches violated federal civil rights laws. Didn't this strike anyone as a bad idea when they said, hey, let's allow let's have an internship just for black people at this public university. At a I believe it was the city of Albany library system, which is also publicly funded. Um, Well, we can allow white people. No. Well, we can allow Spanish people. No. Oh, how about Asians? Can we allow a couple of Asians? No. Gays, gays. No, only if they're black. Jews? No. Nobody said, oh, well, wait a minute. We, we, we Taxpayer-funded university interning people at a taxpayer-funded library where being blatantly racist, maybe we shouldn't do it? Um, apparently, at SUNY Albany, all the brain surgeons chose to become administrators elsewhere. SUNY Albany, I do denounce you. I must denounce Devin Spragans. Uh, now, De- this De- this is a really evil person, a total miscreant, a total uh, degenerate, a total, I don't like to use the word thug, but a total thug who's accused of shooting a rookie police officer. And he was arrested last Thursday. And thankfully, this is the one guy in America, or at least in New York, that's being held without bail. But. Here's what I have an issue with. When he came out on Friday as he was being arrested, he saw all the cameras. And what did this 22-year-old young man do? He sees all the cameras. This is a guy that just killed a cop. Uh, no, excuse me. That did not kill a cop. That just shot a cop. Attempted murder, uh, which is one of the things he charged with. What did he do when he saw the cameras? He gave them the middle finger. Now, there you go. That is a class act. I hope this guy's mother is proud of him. Devin Spragans, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Alejandro De La Torre, 16 years old. And he has been scaling some of the tallest structures in New York for two years without getting caught until last week when he was nabbed alongside four other pals climbing to the top of the Williamsburg Bridge. And basically, he said to the New York Post, he just likes the adrenaline rush and the fear factor of it. Here's what I don't like. Um, The fact is, you want to act like a jerk and do risky things. Okay, it's not good, but who are you really hurting? Just potentially yourself. What I don't like is by doing interviews and posting all this stuff on social media, which he's been doing, it encourages other dopey young people to try to climb to the top of the Williamsburg Bridge. And people could die or get seriously injured trying to emulate this guy in the stunts that he's doing. And I really think he should exercise a great deal more discretion. So, Alejandro De La Torre, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Miami. Recent survey 
ranks Miami residents last, dead last, in a, in a survey of neighborliness. This was a determination made using data related to informal and formal volunteering gathered from the country's 12 largest metropolitan areas by AmeriCorps and the U.S. Census Bureau. Miami came in last in the informal helping category. And the three cities apparently with the nicest neighbors are, you know, and this weather, one one of these cities I question, but can't argue with the data, right? Boston, Philadelphia, and Chicago. Chicago. There you have it. But Boston, number one, the most altruistic residents. And then lastly, I want to denounce... Telangana and Andhra Pradesh. These are YouTubers. And these two people have begun using minors for clickbait content, often endangering their lives. Basically, uh, the template across these videos called hashtag car prank is similar. The driver gives a lift to an unsuspecting minor, mostly boys, develops familiarity with them, then informs him that he's being kidnapped. Tells the boy he's being kidnapped. The child, in most cases, tries to open the car door and flee, but is prevented physically or through auto lock of the car and scared with fake syringes or drugs to evoke a dramatic reaction. The footage is carefully recorded on a dash cam fitted inside the car and later edited with emotive music and popular memes to elicit laughs from what would otherwise could have been passed off as a video of a crime. Uh, This is mostly being done, I believe, in um, in India, but I believe also in Pakistan. So. These videos have gotten millions of views and more than 60 million views on Instagram. Problematic as prank videos of children being kidnapped appear to be, police there say consent of the child and parents in such videos becomes crucial aspects when looking for legality. So some of these videos, the children of these parents, the parents of these children are actually giving consent. Similarly, uh, I want to denounce the AI pranker in that told uh, an Arizona mother that her child was being kidnapped. Jennifer DeStefano is warning all parents after she almost became the target of this kidnapping hoax that sounded real. So she basically received a phone call from a number she didn't recognize. She wouldn't have picked up, but she knew her 15-year-old daughter, Brianna, was on a skiing trip, and she worried there could have been an emergency. So listen to this. It's her daughter's voice crying and sobbing, saying, Mom. And the mother's like, okay, what happened? The daughter says, Mom... These bad men have me. Help me. Help me. Then 
DeStefano said a man demanded she pay a ransom in exchange for her daughter Brianna's safe release. But he told her he didn't want a wire transfer for the ransom and wanted to go and pick her up instead. Luckily, DeStefano was able to confirm her daughter was safe within minutes. But she said the scheme utilized artificial intelligence, AI, to reproduce her daughter's voice, which is so incredibly disturbing. And you you might think that the police would make this a big issue, but they're not. They're saying this is essentially a prank, a phony phone call. This is awful. So... If you're going to engage in pranks, either on YouTube or using AI, that involve people thinking that they're kidnapped or thinking that their child is kidnapped, you are a real lowlife. I mean, not only do I denounce you, but I want to spit upon you. I doubly denounce you. It's really just terrible. Um, all right. Uh, that slams the lid on this edition of Denunciations. If you have a comment on anyone that I have dis- I have denounced, you're welcome to call. You're welcome to call and call, uh, talk about anything else that we've talked about as well. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Mark uh, just wrote me on the uh, interview with Earl Gray Anderson, which I thought was really interesting. He said, riveting testimony, the Howard Hughes connection to his mother was fascinating and hopefully worthy of further discussion. You know, yes, you know, it was the first time I ever interviewed Earl and I'd seen him on some of these shows and he's always great. But you never know how someone's going to be in a radio interview. I I might like to have him come back maybe for a full hour because I had uh, pages of questions for him. Uh, and I definitely would love to definitely come and have him back. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Five open lines if you care to comment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Frank Morano. Yeah, 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 uh, Miami, uh, uh, South Beach, bringing the heat, uh, <laughs> can y'all feel that, can y'all feel that, jig it out, uh. Here I am in the place where I come let go In Miami, the base and the sunset low Every day like a Mardi Gras Everybody party all day, no work, all play, okay? So we sip a little something, leave the rest to spill Me and Charlie at the bar, running up a high bill Nothing less than ill, when we dress to kill Every time the ladies pass, they be like Can y'all feel me? All ages and races, real sweet faces Every different nation, Spanish, Haitian, Indian, Jamaican Black, white, Cuban, or Asian I only came for two days of playing, but every time I come, I always wind up staying. Well, clearly Will Smith disagrees with uh, the assessment by some of the neighborliness of Manhattan. Uh, This is The Other Side of Midnight. What's on your mind? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Well, this is a real treat. 
Uh, we have uh, one of my favorite journalists, an Emmy award-winning TV producer, a reporter and anchor on uh, News 12 in New Jersey, a former beauty queen, if I'm not mistaken, and someone who uh, also happens to be my second cousin-in-law, the lovely and talented Kim Kravitz calling in. Kim, good morning. Thanks so much for uh, calling in. Flattered that you're listening. Good morning. Thank you for waking me up on this Friday. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Now, why would anybody be up dark and early on uh, on a Friday morning? What brings you awake this early in the morning? So, News 12 would bring me to this ungodly hour. Um, I'm working this very wacky schedule this week, but somewhat, I think... I think I'm a bit of a night owl, Frank. I, I might be a little bit more like you. I love I like it. it. That's great. I like it. It's Friday. It gets my day up and early. There's there's so much happening here in New Jersey. We've been covering these wildfires. I'm sure you've been hearing about them. So they're uh, they're happening up north. They're happening down south. So that's pretty much what we've been working on all week. Mm. So so that's where I'm headed. That, so what are people saying uh, are the likely cause of a lot of these wildfires? So it's funny because last week we saw so much rain, right? And we thought we were in the clear, but then we had summer-like temperatures come out of nowhere. And if you're in an area like, you know, like the Pine Barrens, let's say, where, you know, these gusty winds could create like the perfect storm, for lack of a better term, you're looking at a a potential very dangerous situation with these wildfire spreads. Mm. So uh, there was a terrible one in Ocean County. Really, I mean, it, it was. We're fortunate that we didn't see too much damage um, or anybody hurt. But now we're actually on our way up to West Milford. That's uh, where I'm headed now. Well, yeah, uh, that's great, and people uh, will be able to see your reports if they're in New Jersey on uh, on News 12. Yeah. Now we have a lot of listeners around the country, uh, Kimberly. If people want to check out uh, your reporting or follow you around the country, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Great question. And I appreciate it. I um, I try to keep my social media to, um, you know, like more of a, a national reach. If, you know, if I could sure. get to followers that may not be able to reach me, my handle is at Kimberly Kravitz TV, like Lenny, same, same spelling. <laughs> no relation though, right? No, I, you know, it's funny because my mom, Lenora, I usually try to, you know, to pawn it off and say, yeah, I'm related to Lenny Kravitz, but <laughs> no relation. But I just need to know how you're doing. How are you doing? Oh, you're doing so great. Fantastic. Thank you. We're, we're having a lot I of fun. I'm doing great. In. Well, thank you. You always have these unbelievable guests, and I always wonder how you get them in the middle of the night, but truth is they're calling in from everywhere. Yeah, you know, we've been very lucky. You know, the, you, you have find folks on the West Coast, and uh, it's early for them. We find folks in Europe. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, it's a little later for them. So we've been very lucky that, uh, you know, uh, people are, are always seem to be interested in having uh, great conversations. You know, Kim, one of the things that I've always really admired about you, uh, well, two things really. One is you always have such a, a pleasant attitude and is a pleasant disposition. It doesn't matter what kind of what kind of dour news stories you cover or what might be going on in your life or a friend's life. You're always smiling and always happy, which I think is really inspiring to kind of everybody. That's the kind of attitude that everybody should have. But the other thing that I really admire about you is that you have dedicated the bulk of your professional career in journalism. And I know that you you know had a lot of options career wise 
to um, local local news and local news in all its forms. And one of the things that we're seeing, not just with local radio, but with local newspapers and local TV, is that um, local news is being t- tougher and tougher to come by. And a lot of times mm-hmm. it's uh, it's easier to find out what's going on in Baghdad than it is what's going on in Brooklyn. <laughs> I'm wondering if you can speak to that, Kim, sort of the importance of local news and why you've chosen to uh, spend so much time and energy sort of pr- pr- fighting it to preserve local news coverage. Well, thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate it. And it's funny that you could actually have, you know, like a smile on your face at this hour. But I, the truth is I really enjoy what I do. This is a special craft, and I'm going on my 12th year, you know, in this field. So I don't think I would have continued on this path if I didn't absolutely crave it and love it. I think I have uh, – I'm indebted to New Jersey – um, I feel that we are deserted with our news. We're overshadowed by Philly. We're overshadowed by New York. And I love when I see my news folks that are out in New Jersey story, like I did in Manchester two nights ago. So I think that what 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 is so good right now about local news is that everybody's their own reporter. It's like we're on the Waze GPS. Mm. Social media That's a is great so easy. Because seriously, I'm, so many of our stories we're finding out through through other folks. They are like everybody could be a reporter because they're out there documenting every footprint of their day. So they're coming across stories, and even though they may not have the capability or you know the desire to report on it for television or radio, they know who to contact. And that's why I think Instagram and Twitter has been so great. Um, you know, now compared to when I first started. So I do think that local news, I mean, it's something that's so important because people want to know what's happening in their backyard. So I'm glad that I'm still, you know, I'm still operating in this end of the industry. But I'm also, I'm compiling a lot of other creative stuff in my week, too, because the truth is mentally it's draining. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. You're not waking up to, to great news usually. But I do enjoy, you know, the ebbs and flows of this craziness. Oh, I, no. I, 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 I can imagine. Well, Kim, it's great to hear from you. And uh, I know uh, I invited you to the uh, ping pong tournament tomorrow. But you yeah. and you and Kyle have plans this weekend, right? I feel like I have like a bridal shower every other day. <laughs> that's the, yeah, <laughs> I uh, believe that's me. What I, happens? I get it. When you're I get married, it. That's, you have to do yeah, the right uh, thing. So, but, um, now, you guys announced your engagement on our show. And uh, still... Yes. Still, so far, everything's going well. You guys aren't ready to kill each other yet. No, we're doing great. The wedding planning's going great. He's a, a huge supporter of, you know, of my craziness and my crazy life, and, and I the same with him. We do have our date, and you'll be receiving the Save the Dates in the mail probably in the next month or so. Wonderful. And we're really excited. And by the way, I spoke with Dennis the other day, and he was, like, just raving about you. And I said, he's, he's really killing it. Like, if you're just up. Listening to Frank's show, I mean, it, it really is the best way to wake up. Well, that's very And then we've got Sid at 6 o'clock, yeah. so I love you guys. That's Thanks very again. kind. Kim, have a good weekend. Give my best to Kyle. Take you it easy. Too. You Same know, to Rachel th- and Carmine. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. You know, it's funny. Um, so Kim and her fiancé, Kyle, they did announce their engagement on the show. And the reason I asked, and that was a sincere question, if they're ready to kill each other yet, is I have a very close friend, uh, Mike Wolf, And... <laughs> Great guy. Uh, we're friends a long time. We go back, uh, I don't know, at least at least, at least 20 years. More, more than that, though, I think. And um, 
it was funny. I met his fiance, but at the time that I met her, he, he's married now. They have a child. They're doing great. He moved to Florida like so many. And at the time that I met her, I was seeing, I was seeing Mike Wolf maybe, I don't know, four times a year, right? Because I'm busy. He's busy with work. Maybe five times at most. Certainly no more than once every two months. And uh, I'm, I'm working odd hours. He's working odd hours. Fine. He's busy. I'm busy with her. So I finally meet his fiance. And she said, oh, the famous Frank Morano. It's nice to finally meet the person that Michael is spending uh, all of his nights out with. And I'm a little taken aback because I've seen Mike five times in the last 10 months. And uh, obviously I couldn't say to Mike, what is she talking about? I haven't seen you. You're not spending all your nights with me. I don't know who you're spending them with. And then um, my, uh, I said to my friend Vinny, I said, well, you know, why do you think he did that? Why do you think she, he's telling his future wife that he's spending all this time with me? Oh, he says, oh, I do the same thing. My wife thinks I'm out with you uh, four or five nights a week. I said, what? She says, you don't understand. You're, you're single. I'm married. Your friend's now engaged. They, we all need a single friend that we can blame whenever we're not home. So you're always the guy that I'm out with. Even if I'm not out with you. And I guarantee you it's the same for him. It's probably the same for all your married friends. You're single. You don't, at that point, I didn't have a a girlfriend. You don't have a girlfriend. You don't have a fiance. You don't have a wife. So who are they going to check with? So you're the fall guy for everybody. Sure enough, that's exactly what occurred. I was the fall guy for Mike and um, Vinny and for everybody. So sure enough, Mike Wolf and I uh, are talking a little later about his engagement, and this is many years ago, he's eight or nine years ago, whatever, maybe more. And he says to me, he says, I'll tell you, uh, his wife, uh, now wife's name is Lisa. Lisa and I did not have one fight while we were dating. And now that we're engaged and we're in the midst of wedding planning, we are literally screaming at one another every single day. One of us is going to kill one another, the other one before this wedding, because we went from never having had a fight to um, needing to physically restrain ourselves on a daily basis. That's how crazy people get with this wedding planning. So I kept that in mind when uh, when I got engaged myself. Uh, that's for sure. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. John is in freehold. He has returned. Hello, John. All right, so that's it. John's done. No more opportunities for for John. If he calls back, tell him he's he had his opportunity and he blew it. That's it. Uh, now, speaking of this uh, ping pong tournament, so uh, this is kind of an informal thing. Just uh, a couple of friends of mine. We started this last year as a, a, a kind of an excuse to throw a party when the weather starts getting nice. And I had recently started drinking again. And we did it the weekend after Easter last year, too. I have a ping pong table in my basement. I play often as I can. And make no mistake, I'm not a great ping pong player. I would say I used to be a below average ping pong player. And because I've practiced so much, I've worked my way up to average so I am smack dab right in the middle of that meaty part of the bell curve. I'm not a great player at all. Average. 
So, in fact, when I'm seeding players for these ping pong tournaments, that's how I judge them. I put myself in the middle, and then if I've played them, how often they beat me versus how often I beat them, that's how I seed them and how I rank them in the tournament. And last year, the seeds were pretty accurate. They were pretty close. My brother Alexander won last year. But we have one listener, Tony, who kept writing to me that he wanted to play ping pong and practice. I figure, okay, he's probably just a, a fan that wants to hang out. He's probably not that good. But I'd never played with him before. So I ranked him pretty low in the tournament. And so he ends up in the first round playing against my brother Alexander, who's a great player, a great player, much better than me. I mean, we're not even in the same league. Um, I would hire him to give me lessons. That's how good it is. So um, Tony's in the tournament against Alex in the first round. I don't even watch the game because that's how certain I am that Alex is going to advance to the next round. So I have this bracket that I put together, and I just move Alex to the next round. I just assume he won. So <clears throat> Alex comes back after his match with Tony. I said, oh, okay, what was the score? And he says, oh, it was 21-15. I said, oh, okay, um, so you're playing so-and-so next. I, I, and he said, no, I lost. What? I said, what are you talking about? You lost. You lost to Tony, that guy that came in from off the street? And he said, yeah, he's really good. Um, so sure enough, he's almost a professional ping pong player. And he did the whole tournament with his left hand, even though he's right-handed. Because he's so much better than everybody that he didn't think it would be fair to play right-handed against everybody. Oh, so, my God. Um, sure enough, my brother still won the tournament. He had to beat Tony twice because it's a double elimination tournament. But uh, this year, we've got some good players. We've got some bad players and some good players. Tony is back. Alex- Alexander is back. My brother Nick has this friend Daniel, who at my brother Nick's bachelor party, beat us all in ping pong, including Alex. So while he's never competed in this tournament before, he's played against Alex and beaten him. He's playing in this tournament. So I invited some people. Last year we had a 16-person tournament. This year we're scheduled to have a 24-person tournament. Uh, Double elimination, games to 21. I I ordered food. We got refreshments. It's going to be fun. But there's always some people that back out at the last minute. Just in the last 48 hours, two or three people have backed out. And I have one brother-in-law, Daniel who already told my wife that he's backing out. He hasn't yet told me that. I said, what's this I hear about you not showing up? He says, well, I'm not sure. So he still is maintaining to me that he is coming, but he's told his sister, my wife, that he's not coming. <laughs> so we'll see. Right. So right now I have 25, I believe, confirmed players. I'm looking for somebody to uh, replace my friend Anthony who just got his son's baseball schedule and he coaches the team and he found out yesterday he's got to go and play this game at 2.30. So look at somebody to replace him and somebody to replace our former producer Christian Arnold who has to go cover some sporting event, a puck hitting a board somewhere or a, a ball diving through a hoop, I don't know, in Philadelphia. So he can't come all of a sudden. So the per- I invited... Well, see, last year I talked about this tournament on the radio. I didn't think anything of it. I get a call the morning of the tournament from our president, Chad Lopez. And uh, he says, what's this I hear about you playing ping pong today? And I said, yeah, playing ping pong. Just a bunch of people from the neighborhood. Uh, he said, well, why wasn't I invited? 
I said, Chat, you, you really want to come to Staten Island and play ping pong? Yeah. Yeah, I think I do. I said, well, come. So it's now, and now I have plans. But if you do this again, I want to come. So first person I invited this year, Chad Lopez. And I am positive he's not coming. Positive. So I didn't even put him on the list. That's how sure I was that he was not coming. Because it's a hike for him. And, and there's not going to be anybody important there. It's just basically my drunken friends and a couple of politicians. And he insists he's coming. Yesterday, he calls me, 7 o'clock in the morning, to talk about something related to the radio station. And then I said, all right, Chad, I texted him a reminder last week to give him a chance to back out. He said, nope, I'm going to be in Nashville seeing Joe Piscopo on Friday with John and Margot Katzmatidis. I'm going to be in Las Vegas on Sunday, but on Saturday, I am playing ping pong. Okay, Chad, we'll see. He calls me yesterday, 7 o'clock in the morning. I said, you're not really coming here Saturday, are you? I mean, nobody is expecting to see you. He says, I promise you, I am coming there. I said, all right, all right. I'll go along with this charade that you're coming. Um, How good of a ping pong player are you? And he said, oh, I'm not good. I suck. And I said, Chad, I know you're a good player. Uh, I've seen you play softball. The guy is a great softball player. Not a good softball player. A great softball player. Out of everyone that works here, he's the best softball player on the floor. I said, be honest with me. Okay. In terms of your ping pong playing abilities versus your softball playing abilities, how good of a softball, how good of a ping pong player are you as compared to how good of a softball player are you? Because I need to be able to uh, seed you properly. Are you as good at ping pong as you are at softball? And he said, Frank, I have to be honest, I am much, much better. So if Chad shows up, I am going to have to redo these seeds and have to give him a, a, a high rank based on his own self-evaluation. And I hope that's not a reverse Tony situation now that I, I seed him higher than he should be because of this, this, situ this trash talk, basically, that he's been doing. So um, then the other thing I was regretting is I ordered platters of of sandwiches from this gourmet sandwich place. I'm not going to mention it because they don't give me a break on this, on, this, on this food that I'm ordering. And other good food, too. And my mom's making something. We got good stuff. And um, now I'm thinking that I shouldn't have ordered so much good food because Chad's going to think he's paying me too much. And there goes any chance that I have of getting a raise. So that's uh, that's my weekend. I got Springsteen tonight, ping pong tomorrow. Sunday, I think I'm giving blood, and it's uh, pretty much it. I'm told we have, my wife has some other chores that we need to do on Sunday. Uh, we put together, you know, she my son has not been sleeping, not been napping, and not been sleeping through the night, and that means by extension, my wife has not been sleeping. So she believes that part of the reason he's not sleeping is that he's too hot. So yesterday we installed the air conditioning unit in his room, and we also put one in her room. So hopefully that means he's nice and cool today and sleeps through the night. That's my fervent hope. All right, we're going to take your calls next. Uh, one, two, three, four open lines, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. 
other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. UFO. By the way, no guests next hour, so if we don't get to all your calls now, uh, just hang on the line and we will get to you um, throughout the course of the next hour. 800-848-9222. Let me tell you this. This is interesting. In all of history, only two species are known to have self-domesticated. One is obvious. One you would not get in a thousand years. Um... Matt Blaze, you care to hazard a guess as to what are the two species that uh, have, you know, self-domesticated in the well, history? Humans. Boom. I got that one. And and uh, lions. No, no. I mean, lions are not. No. Uh, the other ones are possible. I'm just going to tell you, the only other animal, the only other species that has self-domesticated other than humans, are bonobos bonobos would you have ever guessed that in a thousand years but now listen to this a new study suggests that perhaps so have elephants the scientists are arguing the gentle giant the elephant the wild elephant could be the next species, the next set of animals, to join an exclusive list of species that show signs of self-domestication. Study published April 3rd in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences found that elephant self-domestication may have led to some of their advanced traits, such as mourning their dead. Elephants have funerals. Did you know that? Cats aren't having funerals. Dogs aren't having funerals. Elephants have funerals. They help sick elephants. You got a lot of other species, an animal gets hurt. They help injured elephants. Animal gets hurt in another species, they kill them. They eat them. And they even recognize themselves in the mirror. So according to the self-domestication uh, hypothesis, humans have gone through a process of selection against aggression that was self-induced and not forced. And the theory of self-domestication is hard to test, obviously, according to the study co-author. That's because only one other species besides humans has been argued to be self-domesticated, and that's the bonobos. So what these scientists did, they looked at how African savanna elephants compared with humans and bonobos on 20 different measures, and they found that all three species share some of the same physical features and display the same habits. Elephants play. Elephants are social. Elephants have a long childhood. No other animal does. 
elephants babysit for the offspring of other members of their groups. And both bonobos and humans do all this. Additionally, wild African elephants have a shortened jawbone, which is a trait shared by domesticated animals like cats. Now, we know how cats were domesticated. We did it. They also appear to be able to restrain themselves from being aggressive to others. So if you're an elephant listening to this broadcast, welcome to the club. By the way, if you're a reader um, and you're interested in elephants, nothing to do with this directly. Wonderful book, Topsy, the startling story of the crooked-tailed elephant by Michael Daly. It's brilliant. It's wonderful. It's historic. It's great. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or elephants spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. side of midnight i'm frank morano all right um i want you to stop what you're doing because the next few minutes might be the shortest segment we've ever done because this segment is almost entirely dependent upon you what do i mean by that well first Follow me here. What do Vincent Van Gogh, Franz Kafka, Edgar Allan Poe, Henry David Thoreau, Gregor Mandel, Galileo Galilei, and Stieg Larsson have in common, as well as Oscar Wilde? Pretty impressive list, right? Jeff Buckley as well, the singer of the legendary song Hallelujah. Any idea what the people I just mentioned all have in common? You you did so well on the humans and bonobos situation, Matt Blaze. Any idea what they have in common? They have 11 toes. Now, that is a good guess, though. What what made you think that? I don't know. It just came to me. (laughs) 11 toes. All right. Uh, as far as I know, none of the people that I just mentioned have 11 toes. What the people that I just mentioned have in common, Van Gogh, an artist, uh, Emily Dickinson, a brilliant poet, Kafka, the uh, one of the best known existentialist writers of all time, Edgar Allan Poe, probably the, one of the best known American writers other than Mark Twain. Ever. What they all had in common is everybody that I just 
named, was not famous, was not successful until after they died in their in their fields, mostly artistic endeavors, but in their fields. And it got me to thinking, because sometimes I've half-jokingly said this uh, of myself, that I don't think my genius is going to be fully appreciated until after I'm dead. And then with podcasting and recordings, maybe my recordings and tapes will live on and people will recognize what they had while I was alive. But the fact is we actually have been pretty lucky to achieve a, a, a pretty fair amount of success in the world of talk radio. But it got me thinking, if we're making this list in 40 years, in 50 years, in 80 years, 100 years, who are we making this list about? Meaning, who is alive right now that is not considered one of the greats, not considered super famous or super successful or super wealthy or uh, super great at their craft, whatever their craft happens to be, or their profession, whatever their their profession happens to be, who is living right now that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't, but is going to be remembered after they're gone as one of the great ones. And it doesn't matter the field. You want to do art. You want to do painting. I know that's a type of art. You want to talk about writers. You want to talk about actors, singers, radio people, athletes, pro wrestlers, uh, business tycoons, uh, economists, professors, politicians, you name it. I want to make a list. This is why it really requires you to think. Because I've been having a tough time with this one, and I've come up with maybe uh, three. I want you to think about people that are out there now. Maybe they're still active. Maybe they're not, but they're alive. That's the one criteria. They have to be alive. And tell me who's really going to be remembered after they're gone. one 800 848 9222. That's 800-848-9222. Uh, Matt Blaze, you, you have any anything for me here on this one? I got to think about this. This is okay. tough. This, this is, tough. is tough. So that's why I say this could be the shortest segment we've ever done. Kenneth, you have anything for me? Got to think. Okay. All right. We'll come up with something. Oh, by the way, and um, uh, Alex Barnard, I saw him at the top of the hour. He wanted to make clear in our segment uh, two hours ago on um, divorced couples choosing sides that he and his ex-girlfriend, they both agreed to stay friends with all of their mutual friends. And uh, they didn't make anybody choose sides, thankfully. So that that acrimonious breakup between he and his ex-girlfriend, they were thankfully mature enough to, to still not only stay friends with themselves, but stay friends with everybody else. Yes, so, that is correct. Thank goodness. And I appreciate Alex clarifying that. All right. 800-848-9222. Here are my three. And I only have three. In the world of radio, which is obviously the world that I'm most interested in and, and most uh, familiar with, a guy that did achieve a fair amount of success, but I don't think has ever properly been 
uh, venerated as the genius that he is, is uh, Jay Diamond. Jay Diamond, uh, as far as I'm concerned, might be the most talented talk show host who has ever lived. And he's not on the radio right now. To me, that's almost criminal. And I hope that before he dies, he will be seen as the world-class talent that he is. And um, But I fear, quite frankly, that because he's not on the radio right now and because he didn't come around in an era of uh, that where podcasting was big, my fear is that it will be once he has passed on that people rediscover some of his recordings and see some of the incredible work that he did and um, and really celebrate him after his death. You know, Gene Shepard, it's true of him to some extent. I mean, Gene, almost like William Shakespeare, he people knew who he was. He achieved some success. But now the, the success that Shep has achieved because people watch Christmas Story 500 times a season is nothing like he ever achieved when he was alive. So that's my first one, Jay Diamond. The other one is uh, somebody that's been a guest on this show um, and I think has written one of the greatest memoirs of all time, and that is Andrew McKenna. Andrew McKenna uh, is uh, an incredible guy, and he's been a guest on this show, and I don't think he's good on the radio with me, but I don't think his appearances with me ever um, indicate what a brilliant writer he is. His book, Sheer Madness, From Federal Prosecutor to Federal Prisoner, is quite frankly, it is the best memoir I've ever read. And I think when he's gone, people will finally grow to appreciate uh, his genius as a memoirist. And then the other one that I have is more of a political thinker, uh, and that is Peter Kiernan. Peter Kiernan has done very well. He's, um, you know, been involved in charities, been involved in business. And Peter Kiernan wrote two brilliant books. And one is called Becoming China's Bitch and Nine More Catastrophes We Must Avoid Right Now. Came out in 2012. And I looked through that book again recently. He is so on the money with all 10 crises that he chronicles in this book. And essentially the country just ignored him. And another one, American Mojo, Lost and Found, Restoring Our Middle Class Before the World Blows By. I think those philosophies that he articulates in these books should are really going to finally be celebrated after he is gone. Alex Barnard is here. Do you have a death metal artist that is... You know, it's funny. I was... I All the ones that I can think of are dead, so that doesn't work. Okay. But... In terms of just rock in general, I think Jack White is going to be one of he's going to be named one of the greats. Is he the White Stripes? Yes, and I mean you can argue that the White Stripes is bigger than just sort of a middling band, yeah. but the I, White I've Stripes, heard of them, so they've got to be pretty big. Well, but they've they've since broken up. It's oh, okay. it's been decades since their heyday, and as a solo artist, you're going okay. to see his his music become viewed I like in a it. much greater light. I like it. Okay, Jack White. Um, we'll put him on the list. Oz or O's in New Jersey? Is it Oz or O's? It's Oz. And Oz. Uh, maybe I misunderstood because I'm listening and I'm hearing guys that are probably not world-renowned 
and afterwards you're going to say that they're going to be uh, lifted up. I'm talking about somebody that I, I think is an obvious choice, that it's going to be a worldwide thing when he passes away. That's Paul McCartney. Oh, well, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think everybody sort of recognizes Paul McCartney's genius now. Yeah. That That's sort of yeah. what I'm saying, is someone who's almost obscure now. Like, okay. Uh, okay. that's so I, uh, not yeah. a household name. Like, you walk yeah. into a party and mention Paul McCartney's name, every person yeah. in that party knows him. Of course. I don't yeah. think you could say that of Andrew McKenna. And when Van Gogh no. was alive... <laughs> You could not say that of Van Gogh. It was only after Van Gogh you know, died that you could say That's a great it. point. That's a great point. So you have to have a little bit of forethought. And I, right. I, maybe it's I misunderstood. No, it's fascinating because t- I'm going to look up the guys that you mentioned. I, I never heard of them. Right. Well, you know? thank you, uh, Oz. I appreciate you listening. Have a good weekend. That's why I, I say it requires you to think a little bit. And it doesn't matter the field. Politics, sports, music, movies, acting, directing, cartooning, illustrating, uh, children's book author, poet, uh, whatever. As long as they're alive now and totally obscure. Uh, Not totally obscure, but relatively obscure. But when they die, that's when the world will truly appreciate their talent for what it is as one of the greats. Who do you have? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Dave is on Long Island. Hello, Dave. Yeah, hi. This is Dave. Um, yeah, I, I've got a guy to recommend. Uh, his name is Scott Bradner, and he is a, a, a professor at Harvard University, and he's the first guy to have connected Harvard to the Internet. And he also wrote quite a number of our requests for comments, meaning the protocols that developed the Internet to begin with. Uh, I love this. This is interesting. This is exactly the kind of person that I'm talking about. Scott Bradner. Okay. And he and he was he was like relative. You know, he didn't become a professor right away. He was just a tech worker, you know, on the back end. You know, and uh, and he teaches night school at Harvard. He's not like a you know a senior professor, but but in like in the late '60s when DARPAnet turned into the internet. He worked with the guys at Berkeley and Carnegie Mellon and and helped create the modern Internet. Awesome. Uh, Uh, Great selection, it sounds like, Dave. Thank you. I'm going to follow him. I appreciate that. Uh, 800-848-9222. Who will be finally recognized, venerated, and celebrated for the brilliant, sui generis talent that they are after they're gone? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Joe in Queens, what do you have for us, Joe? Yeah, two, two points. Uh, one is, I think a field where this might happen is actually podcasting. Because Me I think, too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's probably some brilliant podcasters that a lot of people don't know about it. So that would be my field I would pick. Uh, interesting. Uh, I read three novels or did the audiobooks for three novels from the author Rachel Hawkins, all the books I liked, and I got a fourth one. So the idea from the perspective is I'm enjoying her while she's alive, but to me, she's not a one hit wonder. You know, I, you know, she just did one novel. You would like it. In other words, it kept me coming back for more. So that would be another criteria, you know, not a one hit wonder. But the main thing I think that, there will be a rise from obscurity. We'll be podcasting. There's probably a few brilliant ones out there that nobody, uh, you know, hasn't emerged as a worldwide hit yet. Okay. I, I, thank you, Joe. 800-848-9222. You know, I alluded to Shakespeare before. Uh, and 
Shakespeare obviously was, he did do well while he was alive, but nowhere near the kind of acclaim that he did when he was dead. Uh, So when he was alive, Shakespeare was regarded as a popular poet and a successful playwright. He was not destitute, uh, dying drunk in the streets of Baltimore the way Edgar Allan Poe was. But he was nowhere near uh, as widely recognized as one of the great writers to have ever lived. And during his life, his poems were bigger than his plays because his plays were only performed by his own company, which were popular but only in and around London. So forget about them not knowing who he was in the United States or, um, you know, in Australia and Canada. They didn't know who he was outside of London. They didn't know in other parts of uh, England who he was. The plays themselves had extremely limited print runs because his theater company was so protective of his work being performed by others due to copyright laws at the time. Uh, Five years after his death, his work, including the plays, they were collected and compiled as and published. And then a second collection was published nine years after that. But one of the reasons he got so popular post posthumously was that all plays and performances were banned in England from 1642 to 1660. So to get around this, actors performed short pieces of larger plays and Shakespeare's comedic plays were among the most performed in that time. Isn't it interesting how sometimes a ban leads to something becoming more popular? For instance, uh, you know what's popular here in the United States and always has been? Coffee. You know why? Because the British put a massive tax on tea. So the colonists at the time said, well, okay, what else can we drink and make hot? They started drinking coffee. They made that migration from coffee to tea. Not that tea was banned, but it was so cost prohibitive because of the taxes. Um, same thing with uh, with bourbon. Why do Americans drink bourbon? Because of the huge tax that King George put on rum. And uh, I think you're seeing the same thing now with uh, e- with Easter potatoes. If these eggflation prices continue for another Easter. These Easter potatoes are going to be everywhere. 800-848-9222. Hugo in Canada, what do you have for us? Uh, Mr. Molano, uh, what a great uh, uh, show you have on. Uh, I, am, uh, I would like to present uh, my f- Hugo Calderon Villar, an outstanding uh, f- fellow of the American Association of Neurological Surgeons. He's 92 years old, alive and kicking, and uh, he's founder here of the first faculty of uh, neurosurgery in in this, uh, when this little city uh, had only uh, 50,000 people, and now is... is, is, uh, Hugo, Hugo, give me his name one more time. Hugo Calderon Villar. Is is this you? Colombian, and he was... Uh, educated by the Jesuits, and uh, he was a student of Hans Selye, uh, who who discovered stress. Hugo, is this you? Yes, mister. Uh, What a beautiful life we live in. Thank you. Hugo, is this person you? Uh, Well, uh, kind of. 
that our uh, our Father, our Father in heaven is is in in each of us. I see. I see. Okay. Thank yes, you, Gino, and uh, best of luck uh, with that uh, with that posthumous fame. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Bob is in New Jersey. Hello, Bob. Hi, Frank. Uh, your boss, John Casamitidis. You know, I don't agree with that. Uh, thank you, Bob. Uh, because I feel like Bob. I mean, I feel like John. First of all, he's already a billionaire, so he's already become literally one of the most successful people in the history of the planet. And he's also really well-known and highly regarded as an energy titan, an oil tycoon, a media magnate, a grocery magnate. So I feel like he's pretty accomplished and well-known already. I'm talking about someone like, uh, like Van Gogh, who I think sold one painting while he was alive. But who now, if you if you get one of his paintings now, you can retire maybe. 800-848-9222. Patrick in Huntington, who do you have for us? Good morning, Frank. I have a gentleman who, not only a humanitarian for public safety, but also for animals. And you may get a chuckle. Curtis Lewa. Okay. You don't think Curtis, you think he's going to achieve sort of a larger than life situation after he's gone? Well, I think his accomplishments and what he did will be recognized a little more after he's gone. Okay. They'll be appreciated more. All right. Well, why do you think people will appreciate them more after he's gone as opposed to when he's alive? Oh, because just the vitriol of people based on some of their uh, ideologies. But then they, you know, then after somebody's passed, they say, well, you know what? The guy... A lot of good things, and they and they put aside the current events and the chaos and the noise. Maybe you know? okay, it's a it's a compelling case, right? Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Pamela in New Jersey. Hello. Oh yeah, I just want to um, mention that Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, you mentioned uh, he might not have died because of his own drinking. He might have been in those days. They used to kidnap people in that area of Baltimore and a lot of port cities to be sailors and they would uh, drug them up. They would, and cause he was like beaten and there's new theories on that. In fact, there's a, a good book written about it. Um, I can't think of the author right now, but um, you know, just, just to, uh, you know, correct a little bit about it. Oh, that, that's I mean, good. I'm, I'm glad you said that. If you, um, if you, I'll look up that, uh, that book, but if you uh, come across that book or the author, let me know. I'd love to have them on. Okay. All right. I, yeah. Yeah. There's a new theory because he not only was drunk, but he was beaten to a pulp. Right. And and uh, yeah, and it was a common practice to kidnap people to be sailors. That's true. Uh, that that is true. I, I thank you, Pamela. I will look into that a bit more. You know, somebody else that I didn't th- even think to mention, Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach, was not. Uh, I mean, he was, I guess, somewhat well known when he was alive. Huge star, posthumously. Sylvia Platt. Same thing. Same thing. Um, Who's out there now? Obviously, somebody we were talking about earlier in the week, uh, Anne Frank. Anne Frank, nobody knew who she was. These days, she's one of the most widely recognized people in the world. Melville. Moby Dick. Not incredibly successful when he was alive. Um. 
Look, when it comes to musicians, there's a lot of other ones. Um, I mentioned Bach, but, you know, there's others, too. Monet, another painter that achieved a lot more fame uh, after he was gone. Paul Gagan, same thing. Uh, Paul Gagan, most of the time that he was alive, had to not paint to make ends meet. He was a banker, a bank teller. All right, I'm afraid to... I was thinking about actors. Yeah, what do you got? That's, so that's a good one. What I do you was got? thinking John Cusack, because mm-hmm. he's been in a lot of good movies, and I don't think people think of him as this incredible actor. And I think once he is gone, they're going to, wow, this guy actually did make a lot of good movies. So I'm looking at the list of his movies. You're looking at Say Anything, 2012, High Fidelity, Serendipity, Con Air, Identity, Better Off Dead, Hot Tub Time Machine, Stand By Me, being John Malkovich, 16 Candles, Cell, uh, Gross Point Blank, Must Love Dogs, One Crazy Summer, The Sure Thing. These are all like movies that were popular movies. Yeah, but I, I don't think that John Cusack is you don't think obscure think, enough. Oh, you think he's more, he's Murdy known Yeah, I think he's now? very well known. Was he ever, you know, if you were to say that to me about David Morse, right? Um, do you know who David Morse is? No. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. So um, that's what I'm looking for, a level of obscurity that you could look up David Morse and see who he is. Right. But I don't have to look up John Cusack to what, know who What he about is. Clint Howard? So I think you could make a case for Clint Howard. Okay, I think you could make a case uh, for Clint Howard. But do you think that's true of Clint Howard, that his genius will be appreciated after he's gone? Maybe more. I mean, people know who he is because he's Ron. They know him more as, oh, that goofy-looking guy that happens to Oh, my God, that's Ron Howard's brother. Well, like, <laughs> you know, in say. some ways, that can be said of uh, Frank McCourt and Malachi McCourt, right? I mean, had Frank McCourt died, for instance, before Angela's Ashes were published, his he would have been known when he died as a teacher who happened to be Malachi McCourt's brother. But... After Angela's Ashes, he became one of the best-known writers in the world. Then after that, Malachi became Frank's brother. Had things worked out a little bit different, had Frank died earlier, then maybe that would have been the situation. But David Morse is an actor, and he's somebody that I think if you look him up, his IMDb credits, you'll see he's been in a lot of great movies. The Hurt Locker, uh, Contact, The Rock... Um, the Green Mile, and he's great in everything. But he's not really a household name. I think that's that's the kind of person. Or John C. Riley. You know, people know who he is. But do they know who he is? That's what I'm talking about. 800-848-9222. Chris in the Catskills, what do you have for us? Hey, I'm going to throw out two names of people that it, it kind of runs counter to what you're saying. I think the problem is the field of history has changed to where it's revisionist history and they're castigating uh, past cycles of history and things that happened in a negative light. And unfortunately, in a postmodern world, I don't think things are appreciated and everybody is into their own little niche right, area. I got you. So what do you got for us, Chris? Well, I'm thinking Kevin O'Leary, you know, he's already getting recognition, but the statement he just made in the last two days that fossil fuels are going to be around for at least 50 years, that's spot on. But unfortunately, the environmental movement in the far left, or not even the far left, uh, the, the left in general, they think that uh, 
you know, oil furnaces and uh, gas-powered uh, cars are going to be in a museum 15 or 18 years from now, which is insanity. Okay, so Kevin and O'Leary, then, and who's the other? Bill Maher, because he's like the Paul Revere uh, of our modern generation, you know, and he's already very well recognized for what he does and what he says, but his skills as a political pundit and a social pundit are spot on yeah. because he's basically, you know. Well, thank you, uh, Chris. I don't agree on Bill Maher uh, because he is so well known now. He's written books that have been bestsellers. He has, he has comedy shows that are sell, sold out. He's already enormously successful. I'm talking someone that, you know, like that gentleman called in and said Scott Rader. Someone who, when they say their name, the first thing, the first reaction to it is, who? That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. And it doesn't matter the field. 800-848-9222. I'm afraid to see where we're going with this, but why not? E. Frank in Astoria, what do you have for us? Yeah, uh, I would like to say my favorite, um, one of my favorite presidents, uh, James Earl Carter. I mean, uh, he's not going to be remembered because he only went one term. You see Bill Clinton, you see President Obama, they all have two terms. He he was with Anwar Sadat and the uh, Suez Canal incident. Uh, he, he was going to be remembered for being a very good Democratic liberal president that didn't accomplish much for our country. You know, uh, that is actually, thank you, E. Frank, that's actually a much better pick than I was expecting. And, you know, he's someone who I think has seen a an image rehabilitation. When he left office in 1980, I mean, I think he left largely in disgrace. And I don't think anybody would have figured that his uh, reputation would have been would have recovered as much as it has, but he, he has made, maybe people will regard him as a better president afterwards. I'll tell you somebody who I think you could make a similar case to was George H.W. Bush. I think people regarded him as a much better president after he passed away than when they turned him out of office in 1992. But that's a little bit of a different situation than Van Gogh or uh, Monet. 800-848-9222. Let's check in with our favorite off-the-books surgeon, Steve in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. 50 years from now, Curtis Lewa and Jay Diamond are going to be known. And where do the little rascals fit into this? All right, Frank. Before I get to the meat and potatoes, um, I think the person 50 years from now who will be held in very high esteem who's active today be the person who smashes the most statues. Because keep in <laughs> mind, folks, now keep in mind that the hard left is going to be writing the history 50 years from now. And can I bring up something else? Go ahead. I really, yeah. About the weddings and stuff. Uh, first of all, you go into the Springsteen concert. You know what, Frank, if you have a Santa Claus hat, wear it, then maybe you'll sing uh, Santa Claus coming to town. That is the only reason I show up for Springsteen concerts. And he does it in November, December. But he'll play it, you know, during the rest of the year. But there's no guarantee it's in the set list tonight. But the thing is, with uh, people who got to remember about weddings, got to keep this in mind. You don't know who controls the guest list. Believe me when I tell you that. You don't know. And when it comes to unruly people who don't get along, whatever, set aside two or three tables, right? And everybody who's not talking to each other, put them at those tables. I love that. That should really really 
fix the problem. You know, but but the most important thing, folks, uh, you think I've been ignoring you lately. No, I know I haven't. But the thing is, you know, I'm going to deliver the goods during the presidential election, all the nonsense. But remember, there's so many sideshows going on. There's a sideshow where there's a person creates it and someone is an unwilling participant like Trump. But keep in, keep in mind with these words. These folks are living large. Bragg, Trump, all of them are living large. There's people in this audience who are working two or three jobs, and those are the people who are more concerned with. Yeah, hey, fair enough, Steve. Thank you. 800-848-90. Hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to see if we can't give away some money. If you have what it takes to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, then be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. We'll give you an opportunity to play the $1,000 Minute straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is For You by Bruce Springsteen. I don't know if this is going to be one of the songs he plays tonight, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping it's, uh, I'm sure it's going to be a fun, um, a fun concert, right? You know what I'm really hoping, though? I'd like to get home early. I hope it's a short concert. But um, I'm looking forward to going. Going with some pals. Still trying to figure out my. Let me see where this concert is before I plan for transportation and, and stuff. Uh, concert tonight. Uh, where is he? Uh, let's see. All right, I'll look that. Uh, okay, the Prudential Center. Prudential Center in Newark. That's indoor, right? So that's inside. It's inside. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there you have it. That's Why do you sound like you want it to get canceled? Well, I don't want it to get canceled, but <laughs> if, if I could not have to be at a concert for three hours and have a nice evening home watching the new uh, episode of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, then chilling out a little bit. You'd rather do that than go see Bruce Bruce. No, I'm looking forward to going. Uh, but it's like anything, you know... Um, well, hey, well, let's play the thousand dollar minute, and then I'll I'll share with you what I was uh, what I was poised to say. Uh, it is time for the other side of midnight presents. It's the thousand dollar minute. Answer ten questions correctly in one minute, and you could win one thousand dollars. Here's your host, Frank Moon. 
Thank you, Chris Libertini. Paul, our friend Paul in Staten Island. Hello, Paul. Hey, hi, Frank. How are you? I'm well. Paul, have you ever played this before? I have not. Oh, I've okay. Heard it. I've heard it so you, plenty of times. You know what to do, though, right? I do. i got to answer the questions right. And if you ask the right questions, I'm a genius. Perfect. Exactly. Well, uh, you may not be a genius, but you'll certainly be $1,000 wealthier, okay? Very good. You ready to go? Let's go. All right. What substance do honeybees make? Honey. What is three multiplied by three? Nine. What state is Fort Lauderdale in? Florida. What future president served as Jefferson's Secretary of State? Jefferson's Secretary. Oh, boy. Um, go with James Madison. Julius Caesar was born in what city? Rome. What is the longest-running animated television show in the United States? Simpsons. Which is the biggest bird in the world? Ostrich. In the nursery rhyme, Baba Black Sheep, how many bags of wool did the sheep have? Three bags full. What is the longest river in the world? The Nile. And finally, what's the only number that doesn't have a Roman numeral? Does have a Roman numeral? A million. Uh, I, I'm sorry, Paul. So you didn't. You, we were out of time on that last question, anyway. But he got nine right. Nine That's right. Okay. What's the uh, one that doesn't have a numeral? Zero. Oh man. Zero. I thought Ain't you were. Something. I thought you were going there, Paul. I thought you. Uh, I thought you were going to ace this. Uh, this quiz. Hey, um, the question that you paused on there was question four, James Madison. Now yeah. we've had that answer for question four for the last two weeks. Ah, okay. But were you unaware of that? You you just thought well, of James Madison on your own. Um, I, I knew you used him a lot of times. Okay. All right. All right. So, um, you did great. You've done better. You did better than a lot of people have in a long time. What does that entitle, uh, Paul to, uh, something, right? We give him something for nine. The consolation prize. The con- <laughs> what? He's not getting any money for nine. That's not right. I feel that like I want to give him something. To the I agree, yeah, Frank. I right. agree. All right. Paul, give, give right. Kenneth your, your information. I may send you a little something, Paul. We'll get your consolation prize, and I feel he, he's got to get something. That's too good. That's too good. I, 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 I may send Paul a little something. Um, nine right. The guy, I thought he was going to do it. Did you think he was going to do it? Yeah, I mean, technically we ran out of time. Right, right. Before right. he said the last thing. Yeah, so he, he wouldn't have gotten it anyway. And he did stumble, so he, he can't be like on, that no, you no, no, read no, the no. question yeah, too exactly. slowly. No, no, no. He I, did stumble. I, I thought I read them at a good pace. Yes, absolutely. Um, so uh, that was exciting. That was exhilarating. I haven't been this excited since, uh, I don't know, um, since WrestleMania four. All right. 800-848-9222. Uh, feel free to comment on anything else uh, that we have covered over the course of the last three and a half hours. So as far as the Springsteen concert, a couple of things. I'm sure I am going to have a good time, but here's what the deal is. I... Um, I try to have very measured expectations, right? I have I try to have low expectations so that this way, if I have just a decent time, it has far exceeded my expectations. Additionally, um, 
So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm almost psyching myself down so that if I am just having a, have a regular good old time, then, you know, it is what it is. But I was supposed so I had other friends that were trying to take me to a Springsteen concert in 2008. And the same thing they said to me, they got me tickets for my birthday. And I really I think it's wasted on me. There's all these Springsteen fans that really want to go. But um, I think it's wasted on me. I'm going to pass. So they gave the ticket that they bought me to my friend Brendan. And he went and he happened to call me yesterday. And he didn't remember that I remembered that he got my ticket. And he said, yeah, I went to one with, and he mentions our friends that are big Springsteen fans. I went to one with Booty and Mario. And uh, I said, yeah, that was supposed to be my ticket. And he said, yeah, uh, you made the right choice. (laughs) Really? He said, look, you know, he sings a couple of songs that I recognize, but I just felt out of place not being a huge Springsteen fan. So so we'll see. Hopefully the Springsteen fans will will accept me and uh, not uh, not judge me as the uh, as the apostate Springsteen fan that I am. By the way, uh, we are going to try again on Tuesday morning uh, to connect with Richard C. Hoagland. Who, who we called at the time of our scheduled interview, but he said was an hour after the time that he was told. Now, it was because I didn't know he was in Mountain instead of Pacific time. But it was the strangest thing in rescheduling this interview for, ne- for, this, for next week. I said, well, how about ba- – he says to me – why don't you just suggest a time in Eastern time zone and I'll handle the conversion, he says to me. And I'm thinking, if you had the ability to handle conversions this whole time, why then when I said 2.20 Eastern, could you not have done that same thing? I mean, obviously it was not stated that you were responsible for converting the time zone, but why could you not have handled such a conversion back when we did this. Pure idiots. Uh, so he's handling the conversion this time around. Our people are not responsible for, um, you know, for handling this conversion to mountain time. How am I supposed to know what time zone he's in? I know what time zone I'm in. So that's that. Uh, 800-848-9222. to want to wish a happy birthday to um, Eileen Simonello, good friend of my family. Uh, former reporter Thomas Zambito. Another reporter named Mark Stein, not the fellow that's mistakenly British. Uh, Stephen Beck, it's his birthday as well. 800-848-9222. Whatever's on your mind now is the time. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Hi, Frank. Two things I got to say. First of all, the guy you were looking for who's going to achieve fame after his death is Rudy Giuliani. Okay. Now, I'm Jewish, but I can make this this metaphor. He's being strung out like Jesus, okay, and tormented, okay, Uh, uh, because of corrupt judges in Manhattan who are facilitating this trial, okay, comes from the appellate division on the way down. His, his profession is being taken away, and nevertheless, he's hanging in there in an, another role, and he's keeping the whole country afloat because if not for him, 
You know, we see him out there with an optimistic attitude and fighting and not being dejected, but being optimistic. And he's and he's and he's he's encouraging optimism in all of us. And you're going to see after all is said and done, we're going to look around and say, oh, God, we we should have appreciated this man but, more. But let me just say on and look, I, there's no greater fan of Rudy Giuliani uh, than than me. I, I view him. I, I always viewed him as someone I looked up to and admired. But I've since working with him, I've really come to know him as a friend as well. And I agree with everything you said. And if you came to the Blue Lives Matter event last weekend, you would have heard me say that before a crowd of 600 people. But um he was already knighted, right? He's written several best-selling books. He was uh, re-elected overwhelmingly in a heavily Democratic city. He was given the moniker of America's mayor. Uh, he's got a radio show and a podcast. Can you really say that he's uh, has not been uh, celebrated during his lifetime while he was alive? Yes. You know why? Because now he's playing the most heroic role of all, and nobody's re- realizing it, and he's still having uh, mud thrown at him, uh, no, most notably by our president. You know, So it, because of his subdued role now, which is really the most heroic role, that's why I'm making this okay. point. Okay, got it. And what was your other thing, Larry? My other point, I have to contend with you about any anytime anybody criticizes a Marjorie uh, uh, Taylor uh, Greene, is that her name? Uh, this woman has so much character. She was just telling it like it is. I mean, New York is a, is a cesspool. Yeah, okay. Why right. should not somebody tell it like it well, is? Well, first of all, Larry, a couple things. Um, I, I appreciate the call and the respectful manner in which you stated it, G- genuinely, um, because I'm being attacked all over Facebook for people saying it much less polite than you just did. One, uh, when Marjorie Taylor Greene says things that I think are on the money, I say so. I think she's been great on Ukraine and the dichotomy that she drew on baby formula and Ukraine. I thought she was terrific. And I said so. Um, what you said about New York is not at all accurate. New York is not a cesspool. Could New York be better? Yes. New York is the safest large city in America. It's not me saying this. That's according to the FBI. It is the ninth safest city worldwide after cities like Tokyo, Singapore. In Singapore, you you commit graffiti and they cane you. And we're in the same boat as Singapore. Uh, Is crime worse now than it was uh, seven years ago? Yes. New York is an incredibly safe city. And I know that's not the perception, but it's true. Look at the numbers. There were 5.2 murders per 100,000 people in New York last year. That is the safest in the country. By comparison, just so you know how few murders that is. And look, I grew up at a time where there were almost 3,000 murders a year in this city. That's when New York was the Wild West. It was, it's, we're nowhere near that. Philadelphia has 57 more murders in 2020 than New York City has, and Philly has two thirds of the population. Uh, is, are things going in the wrong direction? Yeah, some things are. Uh, but to come and dump all over us 
and to state inaccurate things as you insult us. No one invited you. No one wanted you here. No one asked for you. So don't come to the greatest city in the world and and insult us, Marjorie Taylor Greene. 15 seconds of fame. Uh, by the way, you know who said it best in terms of what New York values stand for? Donald J. Trump, when Ted Cruz tried to pull the same thing. Conservatives actually do come out of Manhattan, including William F. Buckley and others, just so you understand. And New York is a great place. It's got great people. It's got loving people, wonderful people. When the World Trade Center came down, I saw something that no place on earth could have handled more beautifully, more humanely than New York. You had two 110-story buildings come crashing down. I saw them come down. And we saw more death and even the smell of death. Nobody understood it. And it was with us for months, the smell, the air. And we rebuilt downtown Manhattan. And everybody in the world watched, and everybody in the world loved New York and loved New Yorkers. And I have to tell you, that was a very insulting statement that Ted made. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Great Andy B. Uh, without further ado, it's time for you to be heard on a subject for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222 as part of The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mike! Listen, don't sell yourself short, even though you are. The best guy on radio is on radio. And that's you, Frank Morano. Fred! Frank, one of the most underrated Clint Eastwood movies is... Grand Torino. We want the flory dories. We want the flory dories. David. Yes, Ron DeSantis either has or is about to sign a six-week abortion ban in Florida. As a lifelong Democrat, I want to thank him from the bottom of my heart. Don. Sizzamoron, sizzamoron, sizzamoron. Cheech. Shout out to my goomba, Anthony. Anthony, I hope the grass is greener on the other side. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Ray. My pick for three. Curtis Lewa, Steve from Manhattan, and Mike from Parts Unknown. E. Frank. Yes, uh, Sid Rosenberg said on his show that Mayor Adams is uh, one of his good friends. What kind of mayor is a man who wants to plant uh, marijuana uh, plants on housing development buildings? Ow! Hey, Frank, you're going to love that concert. Two hours regular, 45 minutes of, uh, you know, what do they call it? The extras. That's the best part. Going to love it, love it, love it. All right? All right. Raji. 
Since the BABC is using their merchandise to advertise the station, they should be given out free. Also, uh, eight rights, $100, remember. Anna! Yes, you said that it was $1,000 or eight questions before you used to give $100, and for nine you used to give 200 So you'd be cheating people out of their money, out of their winnings. That's a lot, because that's how it started. Thank you, you Anna. All right. Uh, I agree with you. You get them some money. We will. I'll work on that internally, believe me. Uh, Roger in Massachusetts, I'm sorry we didn't get to you. If you call anytime on Monday, we'll get to you first. Have a great weekend, everybody. Frank Morano, good day.